Tuesday, March the 1st, 2022. We are into March Madness time. So, yeah, throughout this month, lots of NCAA basketball, college basketball takes center stage. We'll be uh, checking in in just a minute and see what happened over the weekend on co- uh, in the, uh, the world of college basketball. We're going to talk some NBA news. Doesn't look like uh, the baseball season is going to be started on time. Last-ditch efforts from both sides. And they have not been able to come to an agreement So it looks like baseball is going to be delayed This year um, and some games Postponed doesn't look like if they are cancelled They're going to be made back up Shortened season possibly not a season It looked late into last night like Baseball was going to come to an agreement But not right Now we're going to get into Wednesday And Thursday racing for Sam Houston And we'll close things out with the old wrestling Rewatch SummerSlam 1997 with Darren Zocali. What a show. As far as talking points are concerned, one of the last WWF pay-per-views that Bret Hart was around for. Crazy main event with a whole bunch of stuff going on with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee with Bret with Undertaker. You've got the the show the night where Stone Cold broke his neck against Owen Hart, and they were having an incredible match up until the end. Pillman in the ring in WWF at the time Pillman wasn't in the ring all that often you've got Ken Shamrock starting up his run beginning a hell of a lot to talk about on the old wrestling rewatch we've got a massive horse racing weekend coming up we'll give you more details on huge races at Gulfstream Park at Santa Anita big contests for stable duel at Santa Anita XBTV contest I mean all sorts of great stuff we're going to get into all of that here on this episode, that's what G said that is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. This is the place that will help you get you prepped for all of the big sporting events out there each and every week. Every Monday, every Thursday, we have Mohawk Mania where we get you set up for the early pick five from Woodbine Mohawk. Every Tuesday and Sunday, we have NBA shows where we preview the NBA slate for that day or that night. On Friday, uh, well, no, when we go Saturday morning, we've got pitches and pints where we cover everything happening in the world of football, uh, soccer all around the world. Then Saturday morning, we hit cutting nets where we preview the Saturday slate for college basketball. Everything going on in the world of sports better than Vegas wants to help you out, wants to ha- give you the uh, the information to become a better better. Everything's free over at BTV. Flip on those notifications at BTV Bets. So yeah, baseball, not so great right now for baseball. It is looking like uh, once the union formally responds, barring a stunning surprise, MLB is expected to make their official announcement of a delayed 2020 regular season. That was from Bob Nightingale. And that was uh, just a few moments ago. So if you follow along with uh, a lot of the baseball reporters, you have been catching their information little by little and it looked last night like they stayed late into the night wanting to come to an agreement but both sides could not reach an agreement so baseball going to be delayed let's get uh over and talk a little NBA and then we'll talk some NCAA basketball before we get into racing so NBA let's recap uh some of the important stories over the last few days over the weekend and what we saw great start for James Harden in Philly Two games, first game 27 points, 12 assists, 8 rebounds Second game 29 points, 16 assists, 10 rebounds, and 5 steals Philly averaging 129 points in those two games They won by 31 and by 16 And Harden and Embiid in those two games On Friday, 22 free throw attempts On Saturday, 37 free throw attempts 
They just keep getting to the line over and over and over again. God, the games are going to be so brutal to watch. But they're going to attack. They're going to try to exploit their advantages. And James Harden looks motivated right now. We spoke with Eric about this last week. Would I want to buy stock in Philly for two or three years down the road? No. But if Harden and Embiid are playing well and healthy, are they going to be a tough team to beat in a series? Because those two guys offensively, what they're capable of doing every other game, yeah, they they could be tough. They could be tough. Michael Porter Jr. cleared for on-court contact for the Nuggets. He hopes to play in March. The Nuggets are 36 and 25. They've won 6 in a row. They are solidly now in the next in the number 6 spot by 4 games. And if you finish in the top 6, that means that you don't have to be in the play and you actually get a full series in round 1. And the Nuggets have a really nice schedule coming up. 6 of the next 7 games at home, Oklahoma City, Houston, New Orleans, Golden State struggling at Sacramento, Golden State, Toronto. Phoenix not in the greatest of shape right now. CP3's out. Campaign's been hurt. Chris Paul, he's going to be back right around playoff time. Now, they'll probably be the number one seed. But if Chris Paul is not 100% and healthy and this team is banged up, no teams are good enough to be missing key, key acquisitions and win. They're just not. None of these teams are. And Phoenix has had pretty good health luck for a while. Last year in the playoff run, a lot of the teams they were facing were missing some of their key players. And Phoenix, while Chris Paul did have a little bit of a... He was banged up in a few spots and Booker had a couple things. It was never anything really big for any of them. Starting to catch up a little bit now. Campaign out. Holiday was banged up. Sarich and Kaminsky were out. The other night when Holiday didn't play, I mean, they had nobody besides Booker that could even dribble the ball. They had three point guards that were out. And Booker, who's not a point guard, had to play point guard. He can do it. He can run the offense and he can, you know, get others involved and facilitate. But it it's more about what about the, the moments when he can't do it for forty eight minutes? Who else could literally dribble the ball for ten minutes or so to give him a breather? If holiday's around then they're fine. But if they don't have holiday, pain, and CP three, this team is going to struggle a little bit over the next six weeks in in those situations. And Golden State's a little bit of a funk too. They're 15 and 12 without Draymond. They blew a huge lead on Sunday. There was a 26 to run, 26 to 1 Mavericks run in the fourth quarter of that game. Over on the Eastern Conference, top six are separated by five and a half games, so wide open on the East. The number one Miami Heat, they have a two game lead on the Bulls, so Miami is the number one seed. The Bucks are number five, so not sure how much they care about being a top seed this year, but it is a little strange that kind of expect them to always be this really good regular season team and maybe after winning they realized playing deep into last year players that played in uh, the Olympics then come back and you know those minutes start to add up I think they're still going to be really tough and the team to beat come playoff time but yeah they're they haven't been dominant this regular season the Lakers got embarrassed the other night just embarrassed 27 and 33 now the Lakers record they lost in L.A. Uh, they were down by 30 at some points in the game to New Orleans. This would be the play-in game right now, the 9-10. So the Lakers would be playing at home against New Orleans, and New Orleans just beat the absolute crap out of them. And, I mean, as a Laker fan, when people take, like, I understand 
not liking the Lakers, if you're not a fan of them, they win. It's, you know, you root against the teams that are, that, that have beat you a lot through the years. This is one of those years where it's like, I'm, it doesn't even bother me. I mean, there's the, the team that they put together from the beginning was so bad. And I watch these games and it, it's like when your parents tell you they're not mad, they're disappointed. That's sort of where I am. I'm not even getting mad about the results anymore because I don't know why. Sort of knew it wasn't going to work, but I don't think anybody expected it would be this bad with some nights where there's just no effort whatsoever. So, yeah, they, they've been embarrassing themselves uh, quite a bit as of late. There was a setback for Ben Simmons' back soreness. He's going to need further strengthening and conditioning. And the Nets, now they won on Saturday. They beat Milwaukee. Kyrie scored 38. And we're hearing that the vaccine mandates for unvaccinated people are going to be lifted in soon in New York in some in some cases where Kyrie might be able to play in Brooklyn where he hasn't been able to. And they got to be a little careful, though, too. The next, you know, they lost on Monday. They're four games up on the 11 spot. They're two games up on the 9 spot. And they do not have the easiest schedule coming up either. We'll uh, check in with Eric a little later on in the week and see what's happened uh, throughout the week in the NBA if there's any other big news or, uh, or you know, what what's the next storyline happening as, uh, as the NBA is constantly a great drama show for us to watch. And, oh, yeah, the good basketball on the court, too. Speaking of basketball on the court, let's get to NCAA basketball. Selection Sunday is March the 13th. We're less than two weeks away from brackets being out. A ton of conferences have already finalized their ter- their conference tournaments, so you're going to see conference tournaments taking place over the next two weeks. We are coming off a Saturday where seven of the top ten ranked teams lost, and all of them were on the road. Gonzaga, they got beat up. They were down 15 at the half. They were down Throughout that whole game, they lost to St. Mary's, uh, Arizona. They were a 10-point favorite. They lost on the road at Colorado. Auburn lost at Tennessee. Tennessee was actually favored in that game by a couple points. Purdue, number four, they lost at Michigan State. Number five, Kansas lost at Baylor, but Baylor was favored in that game. Kentucky lost at Kansas, Kentucky number six, but Ar- or Kentucky lost at Arkansas, excuse me. Um, Arkansas was favored in that game, though. Texas Tech lost at TCU. Numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 9 all lost. All four teams that are projected to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament all lost. And the two teams that were right behind them. So the top six projected teams all lost. Just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Who fared well this weekend? Number seven, Duke crushed Syracuse. Number 10, Baylor beat Kansas in that game of top-seeded teams. Providence beat Creighton. UCLA won at Oregon State, came back and won at Washington on Monday. USC won at Oregon. That was a big win for USC. When you look at the best quad one winning percentage in college basketball with a minimum of five quad one games, Duke is 5-1 and one with an 83% winning percentage. Number two, USC, 4-1, 80% winning percentage. Three teams... With nine or more quad one wins this year, Baylor, Kansas, and Iowa State. USC now eight and two in true road games. That's tied for the most victories among power six teams. Since 2019, only Baylor and Kansas have more power six wins than USC. Nicely done, Andy Enfield. Number 19, Murray State, fourth team in 70 years to go undefeated in conference play, and they were the first one to do it at 18-0. Usually it was a 16-game conference slate. 
Arkansas beat Kentucky. Texas beat West Virginia. And then they came back and lost to Baylor on Monday night. And Alabama beat South Carolina. Sunday, Houston beat SMU. Number 14, Houston. Number 15, Illinois beat Michigan. Number 21, UConn beat Georgetown. Number 22, Ohio State lost at Maryland. And then on Monday, number 24, Iowa beat Northwestern. Number 12, 12, Texas Tech survived Kansas State in a close one. Uh, Baylor beat Texas, 3 over 21. And number 17, UCLA got back in the winning column against Washington. College basketball, two weeks away. Round of 64 starts on March the 17th. The first play-in game will be two weeks from today, March the 15th. Right now, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, Auburn would be your number one seeds. Baylor, Kentucky, Purdue, Duke would be your two seeds. Texas Tech, Villanova, Tennessee, Wisconsin on the three line. Providence, UCLA, Illinois, Connecticut on the four line. I'm using the... um, like the bracket matrix, which which averages out everyone's brackets and, and uses a lot of the um the it shows you the metrics, the nets, the palm, Sagarin, BPI all, all together. But it, it gives you an average of what everyone who fills out a bracket where they stack up. So yeah, Houston, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama would be on the five line. Arkansas, USC, LSU, St. Mary's would be on the six line right now. Those would be some of the top seeds. In the NCAA tournament just a few weeks out With teams having their last uh, few conference games And then getting into the conference tournaments We are going to get into some horse racing Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And Any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony Download the Stable Duel app and play today. So here's what's happening this week with Stable Duel on Wednesday. Gulfstream Park, Tampa, and Sam Houston. Sam Houston has a $40 game, $3,000 in cash prizes. Thursday, you've got the throwdown with Turk at Gulfstream, 15 bucks to enter. There's a double up at Gulfstream. Sam Houston has a free ride and also a $20 game. Friday, there's a free ride at Gulfstream. There's a $150 double up. There's a $25 top 10 at Gulfstream. Tampa has a $2 game. Laurel has a $40 game. And Santa Anita with a $50 top 10. Then on Saturday, two huge games with the Fountain of Funds Gulfstream Park game. 50 bucks to enter, 25000 in prizes. Santa Anita with a $100 game, 5000 in prizes. And Sam Houston with a $1,500 prize pool for a $25 entry on Saturday. Closing out the week Sunday with Gulfstream, Laurel, Santa Anita, and Golden Gate. Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. This weekend in Stable Duel, I believe Saturday I will be joining Bree Mott for a live stream to preview some of the Saturday stuff. Lots of content this week coming up. We are covering... Full card for Saturday Gulfstream and for Saturday Santa Anita right here on That's What G Said. So we'll have uh, discussions on the entire cards for both of those right here for you a little later on in the week. And we got to remind you about some of the big contests happening at Santa Anita that you can play along. How about the Ultimate Betting Challenge, the UBC? It's a $3,500 buy-in, a big contest on Saturday. You can play at Santa Anita, at Gulfstream Park, or at Express Bet online. You can register there and play along. The prizes will be based on entry. Prizes will be 100% of the entry fees paid out as prizes. 100% as well as entry into the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, entry into the NHC, entries into the Pegasus World Cup Betting Challenge, and a seat in the 2022 BCBC, NHC, and PWCBC. Tons. Next seven finishers get seats to the Pegasus World Cup. You can find out all the details. And so this is Saturday. 
that big contest, $3,500 to buy in, you can qualify on Friday in the Last Chance Challenge. That one's only $300 to buy in, and it's a, a much more simple format where it's a live money contest, and 100% of the entry fees paid out as prizes, and if you win, you get an opportunity into the Ultimate Betting Challenge the next day at Santa Anita. Now, you must make $20 win, $20 win place bets Five different live races For a total of $200 wager No more or less than 20 win plays shall be played on Any one horse Five different horses, five different races At Santa Anita And you may only bet 200 in the form of Five $20 win place Bets That is the last chance challenge For Santa Anita Trying to get into the ultimate betting challenge On uh, on Saturday Huge money up for grabs. Follow along with us on social media. It's me, Gino B, as we will have tons of contest videos, details, and information to help you out with these big money games this weekend. Let's get to Sam Houston for Wednesday. We'll roll through the cards for Wednesday and for Thursday, and then we'll be uh, heading to talk some SummerSlam 97 with DZ. Remember, we will have full card coverage. For everything happening on Friday and Saturday at uh, Sam Houston We'll have Friday, Saturday, Santa Anita full card We'll have Friday Gulfstream plays But we'll have Saturday Gulfstream full card So a ton of content coming up for you later this week And those past performances are out You can already start looking at the Saturday races for Gulfstream and Santa Anita right now We head to Sam Houston, March the 2nd, race number one, $15,000 claimers, non-four, lifetime, five and a half furlongs, the distance. I'm looking at the six Gs a little crazy. Second start off the bench coming off that win at the 15, non-three level. The one take charge woman, the draw, the rail draw is what concerns me. But from a class standpoint, I think she's the one to beat. The four distorted flash, the recency scares me, but she's capable of putting up a race better than maybe anybody in this field. The two, Presley, if you wanted to go a little deeper This mare will be flashing some speed And should be forwardly placed The five, Lady Fly Like Jet Second start, or third start off the bench Gets away from Lady Ave Probably the one to catch in here Lady Fly Like Jet might be the quickest Stacked him 6-1-4-2-5 Depending on how deep you want to go How you want to approach it That's uh, that's how I'm playing them In race number two, 15 non two Six furlongs on the dirt The three Basic, you're so basic Bad start last time out You can excuse the turf races Then all of a sudden the form looks a lot better You have a a fourth place finish in the debut Going five on the dirt You have a win against Maiden Special Weights And, you know, excuses for the others Basic, we'll be using in all exotics here Along with the four shares Texas Bling coming off that monster win This one should be forwardly placed in here The six G, she's pretty also going to be on the tickets. We'll take a swing against the seven circle back girl. Three, four, six. As we move along to race number three at Sam Houston, 5,000 non-winners of three lifetime, one mile. The distance, I'm going to lean towards the outside with the eight American made. I think you can put a line through the turf race last time out and just play this one off the two back January 20th race. That was not a bad effort with a big wide move. That was the first start since August of 2021. I think American made is ready to take another step forward here. The one Papa Justice saves all the ground from the inside and should come rolling. And the four 
D-Town Baby, second off the bench. Put a line through the turf race two starts back and uh, coming off of a good effort against the five non-twos right here at Sam Houston. 8-1-4 in the third there. As we move along to race number four, I am looking at the one in here. First Empress going to be pretty tough. And if the entry does go with First Empress and Factual, you do get uh, horses who actually complement each other. You'd probably imagine Factual to be on the lead and First Empress to be sitting just off. It was a good effort. Like Sam Houston, I prefer the one First Empress of the two. I would stack the one over the five, Lady Ave, who has to prove it at seven furlongs. I mean, she is sharp. She just loves to win races and keeps winning, but I don't know if she's quite as good going a little bit longer than she is at the, the six-ish distance. The four, pick up the phone, was a runner-up last time out behind First Empress, was behind Lady Ave a few starts back. We'll need to turn the tables on them, but she should be around in underneath spots at least. The seven would also be uh, on some exotic tickets. Brightest, who she's done some of her best work against the Texas Breds, and that's when she, I think, can really shine, but she's capable of good efforts uh, on her on her game. So one, five, four, seven in the fourth. As we move to race number five at Sam Houston, we'll go a mile on the turf course here. The number six, Lumberjack Leslie is going to go third start off the bench. She has a winning turf sib, and she could improve on the grass here. The four, because I'm divine, that's the horse to catch, but uh, the horse to beat, excuse me, the, the one to hold off. She's not fast. She's going to be coming from the back, and that's why she is a little bit vulnerable, because with her running style, she can run well, but just come up a little bit short for second and third, like we've seen her do in nine of her 18 starts. On the flip side, you have Honor Given, who's more lightly raced, more upside, just the one career turf effort, and that was the second place finish. So Honor Given should be forward, uh, should be in the mix, and <clears throat> has the right to continue to step forward. But there isn't a ton of speed here. The Seven Farms finale would also be one that I might just flop in to uh, to use as a, a horse who could possibly get brave out front. Six four three seven. In race number five at Sam Houston on Wednesday, March the 2nd. We move to the late pick four, which starts in race number six. They'll go seven furlongs here on the main track. And the number eight is Passamonte Man. January the 22nd, when this one was most recently on the dirt, was three deep, was in between kind of backing up, and then came on again. It's sort of a weird race, but I I liked what I saw from a horse who didn't want to stop and and kept trying all the way through. 8-4-5. I'm going to go a little deeper, looking at the 6-G's turn, maybe even the 2 Samurai cause in some underneath spots. We get to race number 7. They'll go a mile on the turf. Texas bred first level allowance runners. The one my baby's gone was a monster turf winner in her only turf start, two back. But that was going five. This is going a mile. It's going to be a little different. I just didn't love anyone else in here. And I know that my baby's gone is capable of big efforts on the turf, which is a lot more than can be said for basically everyone else in this group. Airline Drive has been in uh, six turf races, has finished in the top three in all six of them, but has never won one of those. So she's the measuring stick. She's the one they'll all have to hold off. The three dance on her home. Maybe this one... Can improve first time on the turf. Nothing wrong with what we've seen from her and her two uh, who her two starts on the main track. And then I'm a Badger who will stretch out and try the turf. I think has some wild card uh, possibilities here. One seven three four in race number eight. Start of your late daily double. 
I will uh, go to the six little ditties kitty. That debut win was one that I, I really liked. She sat nicely. It was back in September, but nobody else in here really scares the heck out of me. Uh, so the six will be used in all exotics along with the two. She dialed Burrow. Now my concern is just uh, connections that aren't winning a whole lot right now. It's been a struggle to the meet so far for Hamilton with uh, with only the three wins and a lot of minor awards. So not one that you'd want to maybe have to trust or key in on. But if she has a big price, I will throw her in some spots. The one think it's a it think it's a donation, and the four faded memories are obviously logical top tier contenders that are going to take money. In race number nine at Sam Houston Mile on the turf course here, the seven run wit. Run Dam has won eight times on the turf. The eight Wilburns classing lady looks like the one to beat off that runner up effort going long on the turf last time out. The three cold night air has speed and will probably be the one they have to run down. So the seven would be the price play in here with the uh, the possibility of some turf improvement with that pedigree. Seven, eight, three in the ninth at Sam Houston. That does it for uh, the Wednesday racing. Over at Sam Houston Before we move on over and talk some Thursday racing We have to talk a little bit about full service realtor Cindy Carava One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast And as a full service realtor She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing She can connect you to vendors if you need help With uh, gardeners, landscapers, painters She's used plenty of people in her own home She has experience with a lot of these people that she's worked with If you need help with a loan, getting pre-approved, she'll connect you to the right type of lenders that'll make things easy for you, that'll tell you all the stuff that you need to do. She's kind, she's genuine, she's going to be honest with you, and she's going to make your life a lot easier. Check out the website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's get to Thursday. Sam Houston, talk a little Thursday full card. Let's get over to Thursday, March the 3rd at Sam Houston. Race number one, maiden $25,000 claimers, five and a half furlongs, the distance. I thought the three summer cat on the big drop could be pretty tough in here, getting back to the dirt. The four, getting out of here, get on out of here. Probably the one to have to beat coming in from Turfway off that runner-up effort, beating just a nose. To the outside, you've got Soul set free, who should be forwardly placed, and will try to build off of that runner-up effort in the debut. Three, four, seven. For me in the opener at Sam Houston Race number two We've got Texas bred maiden $7,500 claimers Phillies three year old The four sea of life Coming in off of a third place effort Against better I think is one you probably have to use The one two angels With a little bit of uh, early speed Could be sneaky if they're asked Aggressively from the inside They get away, uh, away well Four one the two Kelly's mandate the one they'll all have to hold off in here seven furlong feels like it should be perfect for her the seven LL Cool Gray great name there four one two seven in race number two as we move to the third race we've got maiden twenty five thousand dollar claimers five and a half furlongs the distance the four knighted two starts back was really good against Maiden 25 claimers when finishing third. Three starts back was a runner-up, and that race is one of the better races that anyone's run. I'm I'm thinking Knighted can step forward on the drop in class, second time for the barn, second start off the bench. Four, seven, Rooster Run, who comes in uh, off of a lackluster effort against Better at Delta, but should be forwardly placed in here. 
the six horse Giovanni's heat the first time starter and the two finish line would uh, round out my plays here four seven six two in race number three as we move to race number four at Sam Houston five thousand dollar beaten claimers which have not won a race since September the third or which have never won four. The four Pauly Tiz, that's the one to beat. The seven Sassy Kenzie Girl, probably the horse who I would uh, bet off of a few months, hasn't raced since September, now returns to Sam Houston where she's done some really good work. Mad Tabby is a fun price play to throw in. Scarlet Position is... I prefer Polly Tiz to Scarlet Position. Polly Tiz, I think you sort of know what you're going to get. She'll come running and she'll at least be in the mix. I'm concerned with a horse like Scarlet Position. I don't like when you claim a horse in March and now you show back up you know, almost a year later. Let's get to race number five. The three, I'm a big bopper. Got a lot of action in both. Now we'll take another shot going long on the grass and I think they'll be forwardly placed in here. The six, I'm a Sky Traveler will stretch out. Probably the one they'll all have to catch in here. The eight, Lost Gold and that fourth place finish on the turf going long is probably better than we've seen a race from anyone else in here going long on the turf. So if nobody runs well, it's probably his race to lose. Race number six. We'll go back to the dirt, optional 50, non-two, six furlongs, the distance. Towards the outside, the number 10, Roland Chrome, will be on a lot of exotics. I'm going to spread out in here, use a lot of the logicals, the three. Half page, second off the bench, no real knocks on either of her starts. Then you've got the five at Texas Ascot Queen, who's going to go third start off the bench and should be ready for perhaps the best start of her form cycle. She did have some legitimate trouble when you're beaten favorite on February the 9th. You've got Speedometer there, who is quick and should be flashing just that speed from the outside. 10 3, 5, 9. As we move along, take a shot against the 11. That's uh, how I'm going to approach your late pick four. In race number seven, the three, Robo is the heavy favorite, dropping out of stakes company. The seven, Bonham, I'm willing to give a shot. The two-start back race, going five furlongs on the turf, was not bad. And he's shown that he can go a mile on the dirt. He's shown that he can run okay on the turf. I think if you put them all together, there could be a good race going long on the turf from Bonham. Seven, three, I'll use Bonham along with Robo. As we move to race number eight, we've got four-year-olds and up, which have not won two races other than maiden claiming starter since September 3rd. I'm going to go to the four in here, red and wild. You've got a grade one winner, Collusion Illusion, but they haven't won since August of 2020. I can't use this horse who has only beaten two horses home in the last three races. I'll use the four, red and wild, the six, Bobby Brinkley, who doesn't have many bad races. Pretty honest, you know what you're going to get from Bobby, the eight horse, it makes sense, will also be on the ticket off that third place finish in the slop at Delta last out. Four, six, eight, trying to beat the three. Collusion, illusion. As we get to the ninth and final at Sam Houston, we've got Texas bred maidens, four and five year olds going a mile on the turf course here. I thought the three, Causeway Storm, putting two starts together off the good third place finish. Should be tough in here. You've got the two, King Congo, who was right in front of Causeway Storm last time out. Another one who's going to go second off the break. The 10 horse to the outside. Bulls in the Bronx. A lot of these horses that made their first start, you know, of the year in the when we, when we most recently saw them, they should step forward here. That's the 10, Bulls in the Bronx. 
You've got the five Matumbo first time gelding and the eight Spanish Eagle if you wanted to go a little bit deeper. Three two with ten five and eight on Thursday over at Sam Houston. That is March the third. Good luck Wednesday. Good luck Thursday. Friday, Saturday, going to be huge days We'll start out in the morning on Friday With this weekend in Stable Duel I'm going to get into that last chance Contest to try to qualify for the Ultimate Betting Challenge on Friday We'll fire away at Santa Anita Gulfstream, Sam Houston on Friday Come back on Saturday for the big days At Gulfstream and Santa Anita And then we ended up at Sam Houston On Saturday night Let's get to The old Wrestling Rewatch with Darren Zocali. But before we do, you're going to hear about uh, one of our sponsors, and then we'll talk some SummerSlam 1997 with DZ. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Sense for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, wrestling free watch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the old wrestling rewatch this week. Just me and DZ, Andrew. Uh, I think he's in Hawaii, so, you know, he's doing okay. Darren. Tough life. I was going to say, we don't have to feel too bad for him over there. But we have, we have a really fun show that we are going to discuss. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that we hadn't hit this one yet. We've danced yeah. around this one. And we're such big Bret Hart fans and big fans of this era. We're talking about 1997 WWF. And we're going to talk about SummerSlam here. And wow, when you just go match by match from a topical standpoint, this is a really polarizing show. So many things to discuss The main event is obviously an excellent match And you have three of the biggest stars In the company's history In, in wrestling history uh, Really there with Brett Undertaker and Sean As the main uh, as the referee We have of course what happens with Stone Cold Steve Austin in the, the match with Owen When he, uh, he breaks his neck And you know I forget And I think some other people too DZ How good of a match it was up until that point Those two guys were having yeah. a banger They yeah. were a Austin Austin ta- has talked about that in some interviews where he said like he was the match was so good and that he was so disheartened that that's how it had to end. Uh, you know, and I remember at the time it was kind of you, you didn't realize, obviously, being a young, by the way, I was at this show. I should mention that at the top. This was at the Continental Airlines Arena. I was going to say, you've never been to the Meadowlands before over there. Never been, never been to the Meadowlands before. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I was actually at this show. Uh, I remember I got uh, surprise tickets for my birthday because my birthday was in July. So uh, yeah, I was there with my dad and two of my friends. Um, But yeah, like you didn't know at that age in this time of wrestling, you didn't really pick up on guys who got legitimately hurt in a match. So it was just kind of strange to watch. Uh, And going back to watch it, it's, it's not strange. It's it's uneasy knowing it's hard what watch. actually happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, moment in there too. It just makes it even. There's just something he was that because so, he's one of the greatest ring workers of all time. You know, yeah. it's and, and it, and it just then, goes to show you. You know, those two guys like, had a really bad relationship afterwards. Of course, as as one would assume. Right. You know, Austin sort of, which was because he had a great relationship with Brett, but he yep. couldn't really ever get past it with Owen. I guess Owen 
didn't come and see him in the hospital or Owen, I guess, didn't apologize or he didn't feel like the apology was enough. Um, and then and it leaked into the storyline where, I mean, he was walking around saying Owen 316 said, I just broke your neck. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Selling those shirts, the Owen 316 yeah. shirt. No, I mean, I listen. Yes, it's a it's a soap opera. It's a show. It's all for entertainment and fun. But put yourself in a position where a guy literally just broke your neck and they are exploiting that for financial gain in the company you work for. I'd be pretty salty about that myself. Think about how that's happening while everything's going on with Brett and Sean. Yep. In the same company behind the scenes while Goldust is having a lot of issues himself with Marlena. Brian Pillman is two months away from passing away. Yeah. Brian Pillman in this era in the WWF, we this is one of the few matches he was actually in. He was a lot yeah. of times the the entourage guy. He was in the Canadian Stampede match, and, and he would be in a tag match or two. But you don't find very many singles matches of his, and this is probably one of the longer ones. It's not good. He can't do much at this point in his career. The guy just his body had was was well, so broken down. The motorcycle accident and everything. A motorcycle or car accident? Uh, it was a motor. I think that one, right? The motocross. Yeah. Yeah, the motocross. Yep. Yeah. I mean that mm-hmm. that just destroyed his foot and his leg, and he couldn't go anymore. And it's and it's tough to watch knowing. You know, guys like us who watch WCW and Flying Brian. Yeah. I mean, when you, you know, knowing how much that guy could go, again, hard to watch him in this show with the limitations that are in place. Then you got the LOD sort of at the very end of of their run, the last little stitches of some semblance. They could still have have little moments, do some fun things here and there, but couldn't really, you know, they they, they didn't, not even close to what they were uh, earlier on. But you did get, you know, the signs of mankind and and Triple H really early starting to figure things out. They had a good mm-hmm. feud. They always had very good chemistry together. And we even saw a little dude love stuff. It was, it was kind of it wasn't really all that well done, but it's kind of fun to to see. And you could tell mankind was starting to get really over here. And Mick Foley was really starting to break out after a lot of the work he did with the Undertaker, and he's now sort of being treated as a baby face. So there's a lot going on on this show. Yeah, it's it's a very strange time. The WCW is not only breathing down their necks, but at this point has gone past them. Um, the Brett contract situation. Brett is playing a role where he's a heel in the United States. He's a babyface in Canada, and they were doing a lot of Canadian tours. So he's literally going back and forth from one character to the other, a different version of himself, which I don't remember anybody ever doing up until this point in wrestling. It was it was really really strange. And I'm sure very difficult for Brett having to go out there and say things that, you know, talking about, uh, you know, uh, sticking the, if I wanted to give the United States uh, of America an enema, I would stick the hose right in Pittsburgh, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, just things that he would never say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a very strange time. There's a lot of politics going on backstage. Uh, this show, I think, is either the second to last or third to last time Vince McMahon's on commentary mm-hmm. on a pay-per-view because... Uh, He's going to end up obviously creating the Mr. McMahon character, which it's kind of it's kind of strange, you know, because as I went back and in addition to watching this, I watched some stuff around it just to try to mm-hmm. remember everything Me that too. was going on. And Vince at this point is really kind of positioning himself as like the victim. Yeah. You know, like I don't know if I want to say babyface, but it's kind of like 
he keeps getting his ass kicked by Brett. And it's like, what is everybody doing? Look at the asylum. It's not. Yeah. yeah, It doesn't seem like he's manipulating things as much as things are just happening out of his control. And you almost feel he's definitely positioned to where you almost feel bad for him. Um, Yep. You're right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It turns pretty quickly. I mean, the the moment it happens with, with, Brett is really when it turns and and then the Austin stuff sort of after this I think is when it starts to really build up steam too when he won't let Austin wrestle right. and he kind of keeps Austin off TV and Austin keeps you know really opposing him and that's sort of when it but, but you're right it does kind of thinking about thinking about where we are on a timeline I mean Brett's gone in November mm-hmm. and that and we and, and at that point he's a full heel that yep. day yep so things change really quickly Oh, really quickly. Yeah. And and I mean, obviously having that match in Canada and doing what they did really set things up well. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was literally a heel turn. You know, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying that he was a baby face per se, no. but he was a, he was a figure that at times you did feel bad for because mm-hmm. he was just getting his ass kicked time and time again. Um, and, and then so few people knew, it. you know, it, we, we kind of forget that. When Vince was on commentary all those years, yep. it wasn't widely known. It wasn't like he came on as Vince McMahon, owner of the WWF. I had he no was, clue. Me, how how many people and kids watching through the years had no idea until like the 96, 97. And even then it was always like they always had the authority figures positioned at some some sort of authority figure. You know, it was Jack right. Tunney early on. And then it was sometime Slaughter. in Pipe, Piper, Slaughter, Piper, yep. uh, Gorilla. At, at times were kind of yep. the president um, And made yep. decisions around the time with Vader And then you're right like Slaughter was in And then Vince was sort of known As the the owner around that time With the with all the Brett stuff but before that It wasn't even I mean before the whole Brett screwed Brett thing I, I didn't know how much I knew that No I, I, I don't remember Knowing it at all and people are saying oh come on How crazy is that like All you have to do is just google uh, You know who's the owner of WWE This is 97 WWF. It's 1997, below. you know, you don't I do mean, that. <laughs> yeah, you just, you know, it's just not. It's a, you have to put yourself in the mindset of it's a completely different time. Now, the weird part about it is where you really you you could have known when that whole trial went on with the steroids. Yeah, yeah, and and the old and I'm sure yeah. the older the the older yes, they, crowd would yep. would have known, right? The people that were old, like a, a more adults that are listening to this, or people that were, you know, in their twenties, probably and, and above, that maybe would have been reading the Observer, or maybe yeah. you know, would yeah. have, those are the what probably where we would have been if we were a little bit older at that point. You know, the, those types of fans, some of the people that were listening to this. So it, it's right. not as if anyone, but the younger people, it was never something that was presented on television. No. At all, no, and and even if you saw the video footage of like Vince walking into the trial and stuff, I mean, I remember watching it on the news, and Vince McMahon's walking into a courtroom with a neck brace on. I, I thought he got like beat up or something. Yeah, it's like what? Okay. Yeah, I thought I thought like him and Hogan got into a fight. Like I I was 10, 11 years old. I didn't know it was because he was the owner of the company, you know. And it's it's I mean it's just a completely different time, and you have to realize that back then, uh, you know, kayfabe was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth wall was impenetrable. These guys were in character 24 seven. There was no breaks in those characters like there is today where, you know, if you have a meet and greet right now, it doesn't matter if somebody's a heel or a baby face, you know, it's, it's just different. You know, mm-hmm. everybody recognizes that they play a character. 
back then you do a meet and greet with a guy who's a heel he'll sign the thing and tell you to screw off yep you know i mean that's exactly really what it was like no you know, picture just, yeah, yeah get no out of picture, here no picture. yeah yeah what do you have you got a picture give me the damn there you yeah. go Thanks stand over you. there you don't touch me you know just yeah that's literally yeah. what it was like you know it was a different i mean they they lived the part whereas now it's obviously just understood that that they play a character and Vince McMahon was a part of that, you know, and, and it's, it's a very fascinating and a, and a time that really ha had a great deal of turmoil in WWE. So we had uh, all of the members of the Hart Foundation that were in matches here had stipulations. So yeah. in the Goldust Pillman match, the loser had to wear a dress. In the Bulldog Ken Shamrock match, the loser had to eat dog food. <laughs> in the Stone Cold Owen match, it was a kiss my ass match. And then in the Bret Hart Undertaker match, if Bret loses, he doesn't wrestle in the U.S. anymore. And then obviously, if Sean was an unfair referee, um, you know, towards the Undertaker, he would not be allowed to wrestle uh, in the U.S. anymore. So they were both involved in that stipulation there, try to even the playing field. Everybody had something on the line, and a couple of them had titles as well. As we get into SummerSlam 1997. And we will open up with the national anthem first. This is August 3rd, 1997, as Darren mentioned, the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So we get the national anthem and then the commercial for just the, the WWF logo. I think this is my favorite video package of all time. Really? This, this, this open with the during this time period with the, the this guy who voiced these like it was yeah. the opening to a movie. These were some of my favorite. The, some of the ones with classy Freddie Blassie in the world. <laughs> yep, were really good. But damn, this thing is so good. SummerSlam '97. In a perfect world, there would be no villains, no conspicuous manifestations of hate. Athletic excellence would be applauded. Sportsmanship would be the rule. Our heroes would remain heroes forever. If life would fare, then this legend would be lauded in his pursuit of a historic Fifth World Wrestling Federation Championship. Instead, he's a fallen idol, America's public enemy number one, the respect abandoned, the legacy bludgeoned and spat upon by a society he feels condones defiance and perpetuates hate. Brett was right. <laughs> if who life hell, were fair. Who the hell wrote that, man? Wow. Right? Wow. If life were fair. Then this mighty champion, this survivor of deception and conqueror of all earthly hells would surely revel in the championship spotlight. The bright lights wouldn't sing his aura, illuminating a dark, horrifying secret from a distant past. And if life were fair, then this man might still be champion, dancing, flying, showcasing his extraordinary talents to legions of fans. He wouldn't be an athlete betrayed by an unwilling knee, a man surrendering a boyhood dream to search for the lost smile of youth. If... Um, is it fair that tonight, even in victory, this champion will be haunted by personal demons whose voices cry out from the dark? Is it fair that tonight this man may rewrite history and yet still incur the wrath of a hostile and unappreciative nation? Is it fair that tonight's special referee is a despised enemy of the challenger? Will vengeance flow and ruins from his biased heart, ensuring that tonight will be the last night that Bret Hart ever wrestles in this country again? Life is unfair. But whoever said it would be I love that thing man That thing is great I, mean, I, want, I would love to know who wrote that Me too I would just, love to know who wrote that Aaron Sorkin I mean it's It was just <laughs> so good I want over and over Just fantastic They give you clips of the three of them It goes through Bret Hart And it shows you some of the things that are relevant to Bret As he's going for his fifth 
WWF title at the time And then it shows you the Undertaker We didn't even mention the, the stuff with Kane That Paul Bear had been teasing for a while um, a, a, a brother Someone from his past A deep dark secret from the Undertaker's past We're going to see the debut of Kane At Bad Blood In just a month um, in, Or October, right? I think, is it September or October? Might be on, uh, coming October. soon the Hell, the Hell in a Cell, it's one of the next few months And uh, that's when Kane shows up We We've got a ton happening here And uh, this is SummerSlam 1997 So The announcers are Jim Ross Vince McMahon And Jerry the King Lawler As you said I think Vinnie Mac only had two more Pay-per-views after this one But we open the show with a Cage match, Triple H With China versus Mankind And this is one where you can only win By exiting the cage through the door Or over the top it's the big blue cage, which I actually loved. I did love oh, the blue cage. I used to love the blue cage. God, it was good. They never it, painted it either. No, no, it was all you could see <laughs> from the like rock, the, from whenever from the it first Hogan Bundy first, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it never got painted. Nope. It was just no, just whatever. The more the more chipped away and like you know just beat to hell, it looks the better. So, yeah, these guys were not quite in there. I mean, Foley'd been. Doing things for a long time But he was going to get really really good And really over with the crowd Foley was still going to do a ton of crazy stuff here And these two guys had a brawl And of course like you'd imagine You're going to have a lot of China trying to get involved He's he's climbing the cage And China's going to punch him in the balls <laughs> Triple H goes up to the top And suplexes him off the top of the cage Which was like, like a, Almost like a superplex right there off the top yep. And pretty cool And Triple H looks like he's about to get out But then he wants to come back in and beat on Mankind A little bit more Starts tossing him into the cage Rams him into the cage I mean he's just crushing him here And But then Mankind of course gets back up I mean these guys are brawling China's reaching through Gouging him Triple H with knee smash Atomic drop Not too fast here And it's They've had better matches I mean this isn't anything fantastic But it's fun It's a cage match It's a good opener The crowd starts to get into it now um, China It gets knocked down And then we get a double arm DDT from Mankind um, China goes into the ring And Mankind makes it out The crowds are going he, He's basically about, about to get out But he climbs back in And they chant Superfly And uh, we get the uh you know, this is when he had been talking about the Jimmy Superfly leap off the cage against Don Morocco. He pulls off uh, uh, his chest, and he's got a little dude love heart on there. And he goes off the uh, the the top rope with the elbow, uh, actually, on top of the cage. Sick elbow off the top of the cage. There, crowd loves this. This is when they really started to get pumped up, and this was sort of like the full kind of face turn coming now for Mick Foley and for Mankind, and. He was able to get out there before uh, Triple H He's on one side, that cool finish where he's climbing down Triple H is trying to get through Mankind gets the job done The dude loves stuff You know, Vince kind of had to sell it a little on commentary It wasn't the smoothest You could kind of see it then He kind of mentioned it after and they showed it again And then after the match mixed kind of tap in the leg And the dude love music starts But this was fun at the end And it's cool to see these guys at this point Knowing where they're both going to be in a couple years When they continue to have this feud And how over McFoley gets And for as much hate as Triple H gets Triple H ends up becoming a very good 
good main event level wrestler in for a long, long time. Yeah, no, he does. He's not at this point. He's not there yet. You could still see that there's some clear overselling going on, some ridiculous flops that he takes where he gets hit off the cage and you know kind of runs to the middle of the ring and then propels himself up in the air and falls down. It's you know he hasn't quite got that down yet, but mix over huge here. Um, the end of the match is, is great when he rips the mask off and goes back in. The crowd absolutely pops. They love that. Yeah, they love that. Um, and then from the other thing that I'll mention in this match that stood out to me, there's a spot where Foley's trying to go out the door. Now, there's been a lot of these situations where, you know, someone gets a door closed on them and it's kind of a quick cutaway. So, you know, it happened, but you don't really see it. <laughs> yeah. This one, just the nailed. camera is just sitting like almost on the steps next to his head. And this is not like get your hands up. You know, and stop and and slow it down. I mean, Foley just takes this right to the right off the head. There are that one, and then the chair shot that we're going to see yep. in the main event is the one that always gets talked about. I mean, there are a couple just that was br- that was oh, brutal. Yeah, just you know, brutal. I, and you wonder, like, you, I mean, Foley obviously has had his fair share of of major I- injuries and physical issues from not just the chairs, but I mean, the the guy did insane stuff for. 20 years uh but you remember you forget like how many times taker took chair shots to the head i mean how does that guy walk around you know remembering everything it's pretty wild but this match this match is a very good opener the crowd get the crowd gets hot for it late um china's involved the right way you know she's you know the punch to the balls is hysterical uh the way that she's you know obviously dominant female who you can really believe is able to stymie a male wrestler in his tracks. Um, there's a, there's a lot of uh, good going on in this match and it set things up for a, uh, for a really strong feud between these, these two going forward. That is quite enjoyable, but uh, I mean, it's a well-positioned match. Not every day you get a cage match to kick off uh, back then anyway, to kick off a card. No. Uh, and, and, it, and it was a very good one. So, there were a couple things on this show, though, that definitely, when you just talk about it overall, that are like, are, are you kidding me? This, I mean, this was this was funny, this one right here. I mean, they brought in the governor of New Jersey, Christy Tom Weber, so this was not, right. I mean, you're obviously going to get booed. Uh, it's the governor, it's Gorilla and the Headbangers, uh, and um, it was the first time they were able to have a pay-per-view there in a long time, so they gave her a, a, a belt and the crowd booed her a bunch. The the thing we'll talk about in a little bit with the uh, the giveaway was just oh my yeah. gosh I can't believe that was something they did for that long on I th- on pay per view. I think I think it was about I think it was about eight maybe eight years I, I maybe was it yep. ninety maybe seven years ninety maybe eight, yep they said about eight years mm-hmm. yeah yeah tax, that, tax that, issues that's about and right. stuff right there was yeah a, that's that's about right yeah she she was a um Christy Todd Whitman was was a huge proponent of the Meadowland Sports Complex. Uh, she actually tried to get a casino built at the Meadowlands racetrack um, during her tenure as governor, and uh, it was voted down and and kind of squashed. Um, and here they are still fighting for that, amazingly, 25 years later. Uh, but she was a huge proponent of the Meadowlands and the New Jersey Sports and Exhibition Authority. And, um, you know, not just wrestling, but a lot of events. And uh, she did play a key role in it. This is very cheesy, very corny. Obviously, she's going to get was a big, It was a big deal. For, you know. It was. For the and area. she, I, I mean, listen, she was she was not 
she was not a bad governor. She did a lot of good things in New Jersey. I mean, I obviously being close to the Meadowlands, I'm pretty well versed on a lot of stuff that went on. And, and she was not a, a bad governor by any stretch of the imagination. You know, she was not a, a Jim Corzine or the guy that, you know, resigned in disgrace whose name escapes me. So, but obviously it's cheesy. You know, she comes out with the headbangers of all people. <laughs> so he says like, something about somebody uh, says, uh, are you sure you got your vaccinations? And she goes, no, these guys are from New Jersey. They're good. Cause I guess they're from, uh, they're from there. So they, uh, they, uh, they got a kick out of uh, the headbangers. And then Jerry said, asks if he, she can help him with an audit. Vince says, I don't know, I don't know about that uh king. And <laughs> and then Vince says that we get set up for the Brian Pillman versus Goldust match. Um they, there's the the dress at the at ringside there with a the mannequin. Vince asks King if he's ever worn a dress. And JR starts to answer on behalf of King. And King is it, it was actually pretty funny. It was well well done by JR to kind of speak. Of course he had, you know, it was it was pretty good. As uh we get set for yeah, very sad to watch. One of the the few matches that Brian Pillman even had in this era, and and from a single standpoint, one of the longer ones. His main feud, really, at this um, when he came back, was with Goldust, and he was still crazy and was able to do really good mic work or vignettes or stuff like that a lot of the time because he was very believable that he was, you know, just the the loose cannon. Um, but the poor guy just did not really have a whole lot left here. We get a look at uh, they, they said whoever loses has to wear the dress On Raw the next night We get a look at Tiger Jeet Singh Tiger Ali Singh in the audience And then we get footage of the uh, the SummerSlam events in the Meadows parking lot There, another place Yeah, D- Darren's never parked uh, over there uh, A couple thousand times, I'm sure <laughs> heading, heading on, <laughs> hidden there <laughs> um, I had so, a parking pass and everything yeah, I was going to say, probably a few times there is, uh, um, yeah, tr- true true story my 16th birthday the tellers in the clubhouse teletheater at the meadowlands racetrack had a birthday cake for me how scary is that oh that is great yeah it was I mean, one of those things when you go for so long when you're young and for me it was like i, was, I would be betting because i just go up and make bets you know by, probably by the time about 12 13 and they'd already been seen me there for six years and so they figure i'm old enough i'm with my parents you know right. not, you know so they don't really and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah gino just turned 18 and they're looking like what he yeah. just, huh? What? This guy's been the, <laughs> the Meadowlands. So my dad and I, we went the Meadowlands racetrack, of course, is literally across the parking lot from this arena. And um, we used to stay at the club in the clubhouse teletheater. We had a spot that we went every Saturday. And sometimes I was even allowed to go on Thursday nights when he went with his friend Marv. Um, and at, at the time I was, I think I was 18 or 19. So I was able to bet. They put a sports bar in about maybe 150 feet away from the teletheater. And they decided to make that area of the clubhouse 21 and over because of the sports bar. So all of a sudden, one day we show up at the Meadowlands on a Saturday night and I'm walking over there and there's a sign must be 21 to go past this point. And there's a security guard there. And he says, can I see your ID? And my father is obviously getting very upset. And he goes, do you understand that he has been coming to this room with me for the last (laughs) 13 years? Everybody in that room knows him by name. You know, and they go through the whole thing and the security guard, like, and the security guard's not giving in. And he ends up calling up Chris McElwain, who is now the vice president of of everything at at Penn Gaming, uh, who at the time was the vice president of racing at the Meadowlands. And Chris comes up and he (laughs) says to the security guard, he can go. <laughs> and the he's guard good. goes, but he's not, he goes, not 21. He goes, he can go. <laughs> good so to go. 
Yeah, Darren, I'm sorry. You can go in. <laughs> let him, let him through. Uh, I mean, I you know, a... you gotta, you gotta love those sick degenerate stories. You know, oh, my dad took me to the racetrack so much. Everybody knew me by name. Yep, good, good call there. Uh, I was gonna say he knew that, the, that it was going to be a good investment for him doing that with the with the years to come. Some of the money who, that uh, who knew, right? Yep, Everything I was gonna say who knew, knew if you would if he would have just treated you wrong right there, like we were. We were just talking about earlier how you had a big moment with your uh, your kids in basketball. That could have been the moment that changed your life. You just screw the racetrack. I'm out of here. This guy treated me yeah. poorly. I didn't get in there. Could have just changed and, you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, all those listen, there's no question that all those positive experiences, and not just falling in love with horse racing, but all the positive experiences I had with the people who those stories. I mean, look, look, yeah, but I mean, let's be honest. When you're a young kid, when you're a you know, guys in racetracks are gamblers, they're betting on horses. They don't want to be bothered with young kids. No. You know, it's the last thing in the world, especially, you know, single men in their 50s and 60s, you yeah. know, who are at the track. They're betting. They're drinking beer. They don't want to have to have a 15-year-old a kid sitting next to them, you know, betting on the racing and whatever the hell, you know, with his father. I never I never faced that. You know, one no. time a guy made a comment that I didn't belong in there. And and one guy yelled that he can out handicap you any day of the week. Pal. <laughs> just got stuck. Just got quiet. Yeah. <laughs> just got real quiet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, awesome stuff. As uh, yeah, they were they were showing all those cool events in the in the Meadowlands parking lot there, and uh, we got into Pillman versus Goldust. Pillman sort of jumps Goldust from behind, and he attacks early. And he's trying. You know, he does everything that he can, but Goldust with that nice. Jumping back elbow And he gives he plants a kiss Right on his mouth on Pillman And you can just see yeah. the you see the face Paint all over he just kissed him right On the freaking lips and um, Then uh, You know he hits Pillman Pillman's Out to the floor he has to keep kind of dumb Duncan in and out of the ring He has to r- kind of chase after Marlena as he chases around It's just you know, a little bit of back and forth Physically, the poor guy can't do much Then punches, he flops around, he tries to sell The best that he can One point, He, goal, did, he did take a vicious clothesline Outside though, he at did. one point Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was still willing to throw his body around He just couldn't do much Offensively He didn't have any spring left In, you know, any jump or anything like that The guy, you know, he, he And I'm sure it was so hard for someone like him Who, you, who was one of like the early High flyers yeah, you know, and he was able to do so much and try so much and take so many risks, and unfortunately, yeah, it it just wasn't a very a good match. You know, this this a lot of this show and, and some of the matches that don't hit are about the storyline. Even in the matches that do hit, they're still about the storyline and everything going on with the Heart Foundation at the time. And we get a cool spot where Goldust does the little uh, dusty rolling punch, then does the rolls, and Jr. says, "If you will." A little nod to Dusty <laughs> And uh, they're trying hard And the crowd is having some fun with it Because all these guys In the Hart Foundation are over And hated in this point In in the United States And yeah. Goldust is Over as a mid-card act Like they're, they're into it for a little bit But it's just nothing special in the ring um, He keeps trying to get his hands on Marlena Eventually she hits him Which leads to a Goldust roll-up for the win So he's got to wear Pillman has to wear a dress on Raw. He ends up throwing a tantrum, and Brian Pillman would pass away on October the fifth, nineteen ninety-seven. Just uh, two months after this. Yeah, yeah, tragic, tragic. I mean, a guy with so much charisma, so much physical ability, um, had the look, 
you know, the body of an Adonis, some would say, but you know, I mean, the guy was even, even with all his physical limitations, the guy was still completely chiseled at this point. Um, and such a good character. I mean, you know, this, the, you know, when, where he played like, you know, the insane version of himself and, uh, I mean, just reinvented himself time and time again. Just a guy that was dealt a really tough hand. And, uh, you know, I mean, his stuff, I, when he was in the Hollywood Blondes with Austin and WCW, I love both of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this match, he's throwing a lot of punches, getting down, brawling, throwing punches on the ground. He hits a suplex at one point, hits a flying clothesline off the top rope. You know, there's a couple of rests where he does a snap mare and puts, puts Goldust in the headlock. You know, you know the guy wants to be able to do more. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is the sad part of it. And, uh, yeah, the fact that the fact that he's gone two months after this, uh, it's tough. You know, watching that back, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's tough. And uh, so many of these guys that we watched back then, you know, have have unfortunate, you know, endings to their story. And and Brian is certainly, you know, the epitome of that. But, uh, yeah, look, the match can't possibly be that good because he just can't do a whole lot. But, you know. If you if you've never seen we've said this before about flying Brian Brian Pullman, if you watched you know didn't watch wrestling until WWF nineteen ninety six and you did not see Brian Pillman in his prime in WCW go check those do you, out do say yeah go to Peacock go to the WCW shows from the late eighties the early nineties the stuff with Jushin stuff with Austin yeah Jushin Thunder Lager I mean mm -hmm. it is incredible incredible way ahead of its time type stuff that you will absolutely enjoy and if you watch this match and then go back and watch one of those you will you will find it hard to believe that it's, it's the same, same person and yeah. and it's it's crazy because you see him then and he was at that point he didn't speak he never cut promos he didn't talk he was just high flying flying brian you know he was yep. and and then what you saw when you see what he could do on the mic and sort of creatively later on Yep. It was just a shame that they couldn't all ever come together at the same time. There was almost a bad botch in this in this match too. When uh, yeah, when Goldust does tries to do a sunset flip mm -hmm. over the top rope, he doesn't get over and he no. lands on his head. Yeah, it, it, that could have been really really bad. This thing went a uh, little over seven minutes. The opening match, I think, went uh, six about sixteen and a half. That uh, steel cage with the uh, Triple H and Mankind there, and. We got quickly into the next match The entrance for the Godwins right away And a little backstage promo from LOD Nothing really crazy Just solid LOD stuff it, it wasn't anything too nuts either And I gotta say They didn't have a whole lot left I do think this match went 9-15 And it was probably a little too much Of LOD selling there yeah. You know, but they were still pretty over, and ten year old Gino at the time still would pop pretty good for LOD when they came out and oh, get a, you know a road warrior pop. It never matters. Yeah, never matters. Never mattered, and they could still do some of the high spots. They could still hit you know hit what they needed to hit. It just wasn't anything spectacular, which you're going to get with the Godwins and with the LOD. You know they're really teasing the a uh, lot of neck stuff throughout this show, right? A lot of yeah. they're teasing the neck injury really bad here with uh, with Henry Godwin. Who had just had a, a major legit neck injury And Animal Like real fast start for all four guys Animal super athletic He countered this backflip from at a, Like a double team which was a really cool spot Hawk with a big clothesline on the outside Crowd huge LOD chance early and, but they're By just, the way can you, can you imagine If a tag team walked out on a wrestling pay-per-view With a confederate flag today Oh my gosh 
<laughs> I didn't even think about it like that, right? You're right. Can, I mean, you, can wow. you imagine? I mean, oh, I know right. it's a long time. I know it's, it's a long not time really. Ago. Yeah, but you have to understand for us, we're talking about a pay per view that had Bret Hart, the Legion of Doom, Shawn yeah. Michaels, the Undertaker. This is not like, you know, Captain Lou Albano versus, no. you know, this I isn't the 60s the, and 70s. Yeah. This is dudes, 1997. Dudes walked out carrying a Confederate flag, and at that time, nobody thought anything of it. No. It's a totally different time. No. And, you know, there, there's nothing special about the match. It's pretty basic tag stuff. The heels try to isolate, but the crowd is pretty interested throughout. Like I said, a bit too much of LOD selling in the middle of the match. It does slow down a little bit there. Bear hug, but Animal's arm only drops twice. Godwin's continue to isolate Animal It's really solid basic heel tag work That you'll see fundamental stuff You get the hot tag for Hawk House of Fire Hawk's one on two The neck breaker Then they set up Henry for the spike pile driver For the win It was kind of ugly towards the end But fun It wasn't anything that's going to be a five star match But you know If you would have cut a minute or two off of it It would have been a little bit better maybe a little less selling In the middle for LOD but they're the baby Faces here so they sort of had to play that role And at this point in their career They weren't positioned To be quite as dominant and in just Squash matches you know they did Kind of play that they were a little bit older In a lot of their stuff and so It it played into the story and I didn't really have too much of a problem with it No it's pretty much At this point of their careers what you would have Expected um, you know, the crowd always pops, you know, hot tags for LOD always are going to get the reaction. Um, you know, they, I mean, they could still, they could still do the big power moves, the power slams, you know, the, 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 the strength maneuvers, obviously they could brawl and grapple with anybody, um, you know, overselling a little bit. Sure. But you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, I don't watch this and say, um, uh, you know, it's 10 minutes of my life. I'm never going to get back. It's, mm-hmm. it's LOD in a physical match it's yep. you know it's what you got from them this time and uh yeah i mean listen if not for anything else i always enjoyed lod the one thing i'll tell you, you talk about that neck breaker that neck breaker looked pretty i, I mean i don't know if it it, it it either was perfectly executed and looked great or it was like inches away from being a disaster because mm-hmm. uh, it was it was a snap neck coming down to the bottom i know it had some yeah. punch to it oh yeah oh yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. but you know yeah. Mike and I always get a kick out of watching Mike Kyoto back then. <laughs> it's like this guy was a ref until last year, you know. He was in '97. I know I was gonna say he looked. You can see him age a little bit, but he still looked pretty good all the way through. Uh, oh no, so, he did. He did. Yeah. But yeah, the, another. But you're right about the next stuff, all the way down to the spike pile driver, which really was just kind of like Hawk standing on the second rope. It, and it wasn't. Us beaten. Yeah, it yeah. just looked wasn't soft. a brain. Wasn't a brain buster spike pile driver. No, no. But yeah, you know, wasn't wasn't one of the worst things you'll see. Um, the next nine minutes oh, was the billion God. dollar giveaway, and this was really—I mean, it's funny, but it's just—it's—it's it's when if you're someone who's done live stuff broadcasting, which you definitely have, I definitely have. We, you know, when and uh, this is the kind of thing that you sort of can understand and feel for Todd Pettengill a little bit. Yeah, you know when because. He's not the one that's probably out. I, I don't know what happened backstage, but I can't imagine he maybe set this whole thing up. And he's out there trying to execute this. And he's calling people and they're not answering. And then he's <laughs> calling people and they're not answering. And then say Sonny's 
like putting the, the thing right in front of her boobs, you know, and he's like getting like, oh, no. And then he's like, no, Sonny, move lower. Oh, no. And then sh- Sable's got it and she's shaking it. And he like gets mad for a minute. He's like, stop wiggling. He like he's like frustrated because he's sitting there live and it's just time keeps going by and nothing is happening. And it's just it's, awkward. It is. It's a very <laughs> awkward, uncomfortable segment for so many reasons. <laughs> All that stuff you're talking about. Then you've got then you've got Sonny with her breasts just sticking completely out in everybody's face. <laughs> who's on stage with this guy who looks like a combination of Gilberg and I don't even know who. I don't either. Who's I, got it, like his hand and his arm around Sonny's hip? Where it's God so only uncomfortable. Knows, it's so God only knows what's going through his mind. Sable's <laughs> up there wearing a half dominatrix outfit, and oh by the way. On stage with all this going on is like a 12-year-old kid. And he's just grinning, this kid. Yeah. He just doesn't know what to do. He's just kind of smiling. He's just standing there. They've got to go. They've got two people there live. Um, a, a kid, There's the kid. One guy that looks got the Stone Cold Gilbert sort of cosplay thing going on. They have to pick numbers between 1 through 100 to see if the number they pick will be attached to a key that opens a chest for a million bucks. So Sonny and Sonny's working this guy like like a bartender works a group of guys at a sports bar <laughs> or a strip club. Well, and, I wasn't going to take it that far, but okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I showed you the video of Elmo if you in the in the chat the other day if yep, you guys didn't yep. click on that one, but uh so the call some people randomly Two don't answer. One number's disconnected. One guy's watching, but the cable company doesn't carry SummerSlam. It's like the first three people they call that take about four minutes. It's nothing. It's it's like, oh my gosh, this is so awkward. And I'm starting to feel for Pettengill out there. The crap. I gotta be honest. How did the crowd not crap all over this more? I'm I'm shocked that there weren't booze at about the two or three minute mark of this, where the yeah. crowd just started to be like. Screw this. It it had to be that there had not been a wrestling show there in so long of eight years that this crowd was just a little bit excited and they weren't just going to crap all over this. Because nowadays, if you threw something like this out there and it was going this poorly, the crowd would just tear this apart, eat it alive. Sonny's putting the list of phone numbers right in her boobs. Sable well, holds. I, I think I think you got a part of it, but I, I think at this point in time. If you put Sonny and Sable on a stage for 10 minutes in these types of outfits, they're just not going to boo it. They're not going to boo it there. And I, I'm not trying to sound like a male chauvinist. I'm just, no, and that was like a smart, is. that was a smart idea, obviously to have them out there because you acting, know, they're acting like the price is right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, girls that are on stage, mm-hmm. I mean, with certainly a bit more risque. I mean, at, I mean, at this point in time, you got to remember that Sonny at this point in time, is literally the most now granted the internet as we know it is in its infancy, but Sonny is literally the most downloaded woman on the internet on the internet right now. And Sable is going to be in Playboy. So it's literally two of the most sought after women at the on time stage wearing leather tight outfits that you can use your imagination or watch. Um, so yeah, they're not gonna boo, you know, it's just they're not gonna boo Sonny and Sable. That's just the bottom line. So none of the keys end up working that they pick. Um, Big surprise. In they they did show that one of the keys would have worked. So at least they showed that that was smart to do. And the this just I gotta say, this didn't this kind of thing 
Didn't really happen a lot in WWF This was something that felt like it would have happened in WCW At the time where they were just sort of The production, something would have been off Or some somebody didn't communicate the way things were done Or they, you gotta have the people on the phone call set up you know, like you got it. Like it's just got to be what, what way better done than this when you're doing things live. And it really felt like something that wasn't W. You know, for all the crap that they'll get for stuff, production wise, they were usually really good about this stuff. They they would go over it, they would run through it, and so this was this was really this was really bad. There, the kid ends up getting the hug, um, Sable, which Todd ends up says that that's better than a million bucks. So uh, yeah, I mean, mm. there you go, playing it right up to the end, you know. Yeah. Um, we then get footage for the build up to the Bulldog Shamrock match. This is the very beginning of Ken Shamrock. He was the special guest referee in '97 uh, WrestleMania, right, for yep. uh, Austin and Brett, in yep. that perhaps greatest WrestleMania match ever on the top five, probably of any list with the uh, I'd imagine Steamboat Savage and maybe the uh, the Taker Michaels. If it's ones. not in your it's if it's not in your top five, I don't want to know what the other four are. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> I was gonna say after the top five, then things will start to get real uh, uh, subjective, you know, depending on who's your personal favorite. And there's a ton of four to four and a half fours, but there's a few that are just those no doubt about it fivers and uh, yep. and and that's one of them for sure. And this is the European Championship A dog food match We get a little footage for Bulldog putting dog food All over Ken Shamrock on Raw uh, A little bit early, a couple weeks earlier And they have an arm wrestling contest a Bulldog beat him with the chair Now if he loses he has to eat the dog food And first up it's Ken Shamrock And then we uh, we get the Bulldog coming out Shamrock goes right after him though Big belly to belly early on He's uh, all offense early for Shamrock And uh, he goes in for the ankle lock But Bulldog gets to the ropes And Ken's working him all early High knees But then Davey Boy comes back Big clothesline, headbutt uh, Delayed suplex, chin lock Then we get a, a leap over Bulldog And a sunset flip for two Clothesline by Bulldog Then he's kind of slows things down here There's one point I just hated this in WCW and whenever it was done. I mean, he just hits a blatant low blow on him. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, come on. Like, yeah. right in front of the ref in the corner. Yeah. It's like, I, 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 yeah. Like, how, how can you even try to make a point of that? You didn't see that. I hate it. I hate that stuff. And we we get a small package for two from Bulldog. And then Bulldog's in control for a while. He throws a shamrock into the steel post. He whips him hard into the steps. And he's picking up the steps. He's about to hit him with it. Referee stops him there. They end up back in the ring. Uh, more uh, Davy Boy offense. Some punches. He kind of slows things down a little bit. Shamrock's starting to bleed. Now, this was the thing when you know he would see blood. He would snap if it was his blood, or you know something happened. There would be that moment where Shamrock snapped. So they're outside on the floor, and. Davy Boy grabs the dog food and he smacks it in the face of Ken Shamrock, and that's when he snaps. I, and this was this was good. Like they they always they did a really good job with Shamrock at early on. Shamrock they built him to the point where he could have legitimately won the title in just a couple months from Brett, and it wouldn't have felt that weird. Ken Shamrock got the title match following Montreal Screwjob against oh, Sean yeah. against Shawn Michaels. At the next pay-per-view I think at the DX uh, Pay-per-view and 
it was him and Owen that were kind of guys that felt really natural almost as guys to to be the next ones at that point along with Austin, you know, as these baby faces and then I think it ended up hurting Shamrock it it, it didn't, you know, it was the Rock, but they kept doing the stuff where he would lose that he would win the big match but you know this he would go too far with the snap and they'd reverse the decision and he wouldn't he'd lose the king of the ring or he'd lose the title that he was going to win and so he at this point they were doing pretty good he seemed really badass the the when he would snap at the end of matches and go crazy it was fun even even how they did it at the end of this match um i thought was was pretty good you know afterwards he gets the uh, you know bulldog ends up getting the win but i i thought Early on, they did a really good job with Shamrock. I loved him early. I was he was really over. Oh yeah, I mean, if you take Ken Shamrock, I, I don't mean now, but I mean Ken Shamrock at this age, at this point of his career, and you put him in 2022 WWE, the guy's a WrestleMania main eventer. Like, I mean, he's that. You know, this he he has a very Ronda Rousey esque quality to his yep. ring work. You mm-hmm. know, he he can do things on the floor. He does those types of. I don't know if they're jujitsu or what types of moves, but they're like those crazy rolls into hold, like different holds and maneuvers that just look that, real. They're because they look, are. Yeah, they, they're real moves that look incredible. And you you take that and you put it on to the fact that he's got an amazing look. He's ripped to the to the tees, and he has this persona where he snaps over certain things. I mean, you know, he's. Brock Lesnar, pre-Brock Lesnar is what he is. And uh, I mean, he would be a monster, monster draw in 2022. And I think he's another guy that you can argue might have been a victim of being just a little bit ahead Gosh, of his time. Even a few you years know? later with some angle stuff, you know? Um, yeah. Imagine imagine him, angle, Lesnar, and a triple threat in the oh, main event at Mania. Sheesh. Insane. Insane. Gosh. Because yeah. he was another guy who could he go out and do a 20 minute promo? No. But when he had to cut a promo for a match, it was very believable. You, you, it was enough to get the match over. He could sell you on what he was going to do. I actually like some of the times I, I remember early on, there were, he, he would sort of uh, be on commentary. And he would, they would show clips of of what he did. He was like, "So here, what I'm doing is I'm putting him in the arm bar, you know." And he would kind of tell you like the, some of the moves he was doing. And I kind of thought that was kind of cool. He was like, "And you know, I'm just I'm just giving him a little love because if I really wanted yeah. to break his arm, I could. But I'm just showing yeah. him who's boss, you know." And it was okay. So I, I, I yeah, Shamrock was over the the actual finish of the match. Once he got crazy, he picked up the can of dog food and he hit Bulldog in the back of his head. So, um. The low blow, no DQ, but the the dog food to the back of the head was good enough uh, with the can. Yeah. So that yeah, that, that did it. the job. That did the job. This thing, you know what? The match was fine. I, they, you know, Bulldog was good on on you know his best days. This was a pretty good good effort from Bulldog. It wasn't all that long. And then the post match stuff is really fun, where Shamrock won't let go. I mean, he's Bulldog. He's like choking him out in the in. He looks purple. His face yeah. really does like look purple. And I love when he starts giving the belly to bellies to Patterson and Briscoe. Just I love the way that those guys would sell those belly to bellies and like Patterson oh, would yeah. just flail his arms around and Briscoe would walk. They'd walk up right in his face. And I'd always be like, why the hell are you walking right up in his face? What like, what are you doing? You idiot. You know what's about to happen. And, ah! and the the way just another one of these things that you can't really control. But the way that Shamrock was bleeding, 
it almost looked like he just was like uh, he was like a zombie. Like he just came up from like taking a bite out of Bulldog. Like he had this blood, you know, just kind of around the rim of his mouth just because yep. it was bleeding from his lips. And it was like, oh man, he was just like just just taking chunks out of him. I, I got a kick out of a lot of uh, a lot of this early Shamrock stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They they um you know, you can argue that maybe he never fulfilled his true potential based on the start that he had. I mean, he got put into some big spots early. He went into the intercontinental title picture with the rock i mean a lot of great stuff that he did early like we said had the look had the great moves his belly to belly suplex was tremendous the ankle lock uh you know just uh, an all-around athlete who really excelled and could have been anything had he you know stayed in wwe uh you know longer and and given the right push that he should have had where i know for sure he definitely would have had if he was you know around a few years later but uh yeah i always enjoyed him i really did i i thought I thought he was a real, it, it was like a real human element to the character. It, you know, and it was a, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. It was different. Compared to some of the, yeah, compared to some of the, you know, gimmicks that you were seeing Cartoony. at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was just much different. And this was right. We are right on the cusp. We're not to the Attitude Era quite yet, but I mean, these are the major players that are going to, that are going to come through and pave the way. This is, you know, the real early footprints of it here as, um, we get to Todd Pettengill backstage He just has a quick talk with Shawn Michaels And Shawn just says he's going to be impartial, unbiased And nothing will get past the keen eye of Shawn Michaels As goodness, we get a video package for Los Bariquas Versus the Disciples of Apocalypse And now, if wow you asked me if we could do without something on this show Enter this, this match This <laughs> is the one This is the one that was Because uh, even the Goldust Pillman stuff, that was an angle It is sort of nostalgic to get to see Pillman And in this time in WWF, he didn't really have Very many opportunities in there, he's trying You know, this is just brutal I mean, the the uh, the ref doesn't Know what to do, the announcers don't really know what to say They, they don't even like It's just so many One guy will tag in and then three or four Guys on the team will just All come in the ring and sort of Quad triple or quadruple team him And go in and out, I mean there's zero, there's like nothing To this, the things that stick out here you will get the hairiest back you'll ever see from Miguel Perez. <laughs> Miguel Perez, just the hairiest back in the history of the world. Um, so it, what what this was was Savio and uh, and Crush were both part of the Nation of Domination, and when they got tossed out, they both went and recruited their own uh, factions. So Savio led the Los Bariquas, and Crush led the Disciples of Apocalypse with chains, eight ball, and skull. Savio, Miguel Perez, Jesus Castillo, and Jose Estrada were the uh, the Los Bariquas. Best and, part of this match is when they go and they shake the Spanish commentators' hands. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. They come down with the they're the you know DOA has got the bikes. It, at one point, the Nation of Domination walks through the crowd. So that was Farouk, Kama, Dilo, and Ahmed Johnson was part of them now. And a lot of this was really to, in a weird way, get Ahmed. As sort of more over with the nation Because he came out and was You know just with them The winners end up being Los Bariquas Because Ahmed hits the Pearl River Plunge to one of the uh, the DOA to chains And then they roll him back in the ring Everybody's just fighting And uh, even the pin Is almost botched it's like a a three count And then they kick out just after it's like Hogan trying to be warrior here You know uh, (laughs) Wrestlemania Six trying to kick out right after And they just sort of brawl um, 
Afterwards, all three factions with the Nation of Domination, Crush gets the bike and he starts just riding it around. Uh, this is this is pretty brutal. Yeah, this there are you know two or three matches where the ring work isn't fantastic, but this just felt I sort of forgot. This just felt like something you'd see on Raw. This oh, didn't yeah. feel like it was even like if this was on an in your house, I would even have thought. But this was pretty bad for a big a big pay per view for like a SummerSlam type of pay per view. Yeah, this is like one of those matches where you're watching Raw and there's two guys, you know, that are like in some kind of a confrontation from two factions in the ring. And you come back from commercial and all of a sudden there's 12 guys now involved in the match. Oh, you know, welcome back. Uh, This has gone from a one on one to an eight man tag. You know, that's pretty much what this is like. Um, But what I will say about all of this is this thing went nine minutes and eight seconds and they had a little video package before and there was a little bit of stuff after. They are damn lucky they had this match go that long Because with what happened next With Owen and Austin Probably having about five minutes or so Cut off the back end of theirs That would have put Brett and and, Because Brett and and Undertaker You could tell by the way their matches They were probably forced to go about five minutes longer Than they wanted Or at least everything was very deliberate With their entrances With the way they had to do stuff you know, to try to fill a time that we're in a pay-per-view era where you have to fill time. You know, yeah. you can't cut 20 minutes, 30 minutes short here. So they actually ended up getting lucky because if this thing ended up only going five minutes, that would have put Brett and, and Taker in a pretty bad spot there. You know, having to go 30 plus with that one. Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't think the match necessarily suffers because of that. No, um, no, no. But know. it would have. I think the only pro- the only reason why to me it's 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 good. I love the the main event. We'll get there in a, in a few minutes. But the only reason what I think hurts it is just the the sort of dynamic of the bigger guy having to sell so much mm-hmm. when when the match goes long. Yeah, and Brett right. is as good of anyone at making the offense look great. It was just sort of weird seeing Undertaker having to sell for that long of a match with Brett, you know, in charge. Um, yep. And I think that was the only thing where. It felt a little bit off the size and the the backwards of the baby face being the small the big you know the bigger guy selling and the heel being the smaller guy and um um but yeah they did they did end up getting getting lucky here because they needed a few extra minutes with um with what's going to come next as we get the video package for Owen and Steve Austin for the Intercontinental Title this was we talked we've done the Canadian Stampede before on a, on a deep dive. As yep. Owen got the pin over Austin in that match So that ends up setting up this thing As Owen bragged about how he pinned Stone Cold And so they had a match set up Austin said if he can't win the title He has to kiss Owen's ass Title on the line here This might be as good of shape as Stone Cold was in Man, he was in fantastic shape He was tight His stomach Like so little fat on there Just in phenomenal shape and this is a bummer. This thing goes sixteen and at about a half, sixteen, fifteen ish. The first fifteen minutes of this match are really, really good. Um, really good. Um, for you get a little interview backstage first. First, um, Owen comes out, big booze for Owen, and then Michael Cole's backstage. He, he wants to get an interview, but nope. Austin just comes out, huge pop. Vince even says, I don't know why they like him, but they do. <laughs> and um, Austin middle fingers right when he walks in the ring. 
And then Owen just goes right after him And they just go at this quick Intense pace Right from the start Just It's very un Austin like Yeah You know what I mean Like like there's brawling You know he's 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 hitting haymakers And he's manhandling Owen at times And he does that move where You know Owen does a, a You know the, the jump over him Comes back off the ropes And and Austin hits him with that, you know, jumps on him and, and just starts punching him on the floor. I mean, that part of it is very Austin-like. But the beginning of the match, you don't normally see Austin in this type of a high-tempo match like that. Yes, yes. And it continues. Yep. It continues. They're, they're honestly, up until the end, there's like one or two spots where Owen sort of slows it down. But it's really well done because he's working the neck in the middle. I mean, we get... Uh, um, Hammerlock suplex here Um, Owen With this really cool counter Where he's kind of ducking underneath to get out of this Arm bar and Owen with the finger Joint manipulation Owen Hart slash Pete uh, Pete right Pete Dunn here right yeah (laughs) Like yeah it's just going like Working the fingers because he's trying to Break Austin's middle fingers so he Can't do the middle finger anymore which I thought Was kind of cool there they're sort of explaining That and then Austin does the stun gun, which uh, was uh, one of his finishing moves, I think, in WCW for uh, a time period. And then they go outside of the ring, clothesline. We get a, a power bomb from a, a Hurricane Rana there. And then Owen tries to to head back, but Austin chases him up and the aisle, and they fight down the aisle. Austin brings him back in, and then Owen just real quick belly to belly, and then a neck breaker, leg drop. I love that little quick leg drop. And body slam And then top rope elbow So Owen's in charge Now he starts working on the neck And that's when they start mentioning the neck now of Austin And the problems that he's had before And sheesh, what we're going to see in about 5-10 minutes at the most We uh, hard clothesline And then um, Austin actually goes for the sharpshooter Owen is able to counter out of that Big clothesline from Owen And Owen springboard off the middle rope Cross body there I mean this is really good stuff Owen with that bridging German suplex That was a really cool near fall There were two of them back to back That Austin rolls over And then Owen sort of bridges it back And both of them look like they could have been uh, A pin And then uh, Owen starts working the neck Camel clutch there He slows it down But it wasn't like all these guys are tired to slow it down They'd been working their asses off They just needed This was like the slow down spot to try to build things back up Unfortunately you know we probably Got a few minutes of that ended up getting Cut out towards the end We get a little neck breaker here Body scissors And it takes a little while For Earl to realize that Owen's Cheating which is cool Owen keeps kind of Putting his foot up on the foot up on the ropes there And then Earl realizes So he We see Austin Kind of get up he's kind of getting Back into control he's punching and he goes for the backbreaker, and Owen counters it over into the tombstone pile driver. Oof. And lots of stories about this, what was discussed, that the safe way to do it is to drop down to the knees. That's the way that we see the Undertaker do his pile driver. You drop down to your knees, you protect the uh, the person who you're putting the pile driver on. And Stone Cold Steve Austin, any person in the locker room, if you were going to trust one person, I mean, Owen Hart would be on the short list of people that you would be like, oh, whatever they want to do, I trust them. So great in the ring. 
so well trained Someone who was never One that was putting other people In jeopardy but Miscommunication he messed up the move Whatever it was it just um, Yeah it's it's tough to watch You see Stone Cold's neck Really hit the mat and he's just I mean he's out he can't move He's just laying there And he has to sort of lean over He tries to tell Owen Austin's able to Sort of relay the message to Earl And you can see Owen sort of realizes it And so he's he's just trying to buy time He starts walking over to the corner Of the ring, the crowd, and he's Trash talking Yeah, Canada, yeah I, I, you know, look what I did You know, he's nothing for me You know, he's just doing the heel, you know Heel work here, and you can hear hear Vince He's like, oh, uh, he says I'm afraid Austin is hurt badly And He's Owens chant in Canada. I it is unbelievable when you kind of watch back that Stone Cold is able to even crawl over and roll up Owen. I mean, it's the worst roll up. It's not even anything. Owen just sort of falls back over and there's no pressure put on. They count to three. The thing that made me the most uncomfortable, DZ, when I watching it back a few times was so quickly, you know, Owen gets out. And there's no celebration or anything like that. The refs are everybody's really concerned about Austin. He rolls out of the ring and he the ref he you know he puts his arms on both of the referees. When he moves down the aisle, his feet are not walking. His no, feet are just hitting the floor. Yeah. Like they're they're numb. Like his feet are just laying backwards and being dragged. Like yep. he's his weight are just on both of the referees. And he has just no feeling in his feet He can't even like put his toes to the ground That that was the part that made me the most Uncomfortable watching back Yeah you know That he's really hurt After the pin because In stories before Where they play up the Austin injury he ends up just Stunning every referee in the ring and Leaving when he gets carried out Like that where he's got his arms draped Over the referees you know there's A problem uh, and it's obviously related to the tombstone. And then when they show it back and you see where his head is, uh, you know that there's that there could be a, a serious, serious issue. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of talk about the fact that uh, Owen tried to convince him that he can execute that move safely that way, um, that Austin was against doing it that way, that there's a lot of pent up hostility after the match because of mm-hmm. that. Kind of like I told you not to do it that way. You almost effing killed me, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it's you can make the case that prior to that moment, this is one of the best matches in SummerSlam history. This match was really good. Yeah. And it's so this, hard, it's so hard to gauge it and put a grade on it or like a star rating because of what happens at the end. Because yeah, we just don't we don't know what the next there was gonna be another five minutes to this match. This match had an extra few minutes of of sequence left. You know, that wasn't the finish there, you know, but it's so you know, it, it it it's really crazy to think about because with Owen obviously having one of the the, the most tragic incident in wrestling history with what happened with him during a show and then what happens with Austin after this, but it's very Strange what happens to Austin immediately following this because this becomes like a real catalyst for him getting over with the crowd. Because yep. at this point, Austin is is very much popular, but 
He still isn't really on the level of the three guys that are in the main event. I think that's fair. I think uh, he's not quite. Maybe as a baby face, like he may have more of like a groundswell of a baby face, but as far as just like a, a star and established in this company, he's not a Brett or a Sean or a or a Taker, and probably really is it until you know the '98 stuff, the Rumble, and then into WrestleMania there, where he sort of takes it from from Sean. But he he felt a little below, and I think the. What what we see in the next few months is that they were very smart by not having him off television. Yep. He was on TV every week cutting promos, cutting videos. And he you was know there. Where they got that. You know where they got the idea for that from? When he was he, he was in ECW and he couldn't wrestle. Mm-hmm. But he was on TV every yep. week cutting crazy promos. And they watched those promos and they said, holy crap, we got to get this guy. And lo and behold, it came to hand here at this point in time. And thank God they did it because who knows if Austin has the same trajectory if he just disappears for four months. And he became just unbelievable on the mic, comfortable. He was getting all this time and more and more time each and every week. And that was where it all started started with Vince. Everything came together. I'm not saying this was great for him in any way, shape, or form. The guy broke his neck and it took years off of his career, possibly life. Who knows? Not knock on wood. We are hearing rumors that we may be seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin back this year in some sort of a match, which I, would be—I I mean, that would be I nuts. Don't know how that's possible? I don't even know how the guy can move at this. No, point. and he and it would it would be crazy because if you know we're recording um, on uh, February the twenty second. Most of you will probably hear this a few days after, uh, towards the end of February. But he—it hasn't been announced or anything. There've been rumors, and for all of these years, he's fifty-seven now. Um, for all of these years, he's never. I'm sure how much money's been offered to him through the years, but he's resisted the temptation. But I guess it's Texas two nights. They probably need to sell some tickets and, and putting him on a truck or on a billboard or announcing him in a match versus just saying Stone Cold's going to show up would sell a lot more tickets. And they could get away with some, you know, a street fighty thing with Kevin Owens taking a lot of bumps if that's the direction they're going. But mm-hmm. it's it's kind of crazy to think about this night now because I, I, th- there wouldn't be those rumors out there if it wasn't. And I'm surprised we neither of the sides, like WWE nor Austin, has come and shot that down. No, and and it's smart that they haven't. No, you know, it adds it adds buzz. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who knows? It's possible that he just shows up and maybe gets pissed off at Owens for using his move and does Stuns something. Him, the beers yeah. and just it, yeah. it could all serve the same purpose. But yeah. for their point of wanting to sell tickets, I mean, that would be that would be pretty nuts if uh, if we did see Austin there and uh, yep, Austin. Yeah, is I your... mean, I think I think they're in pretty good shape with, uh, with with the way the cards are coming together. Taker getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. You got um, Roman Brock. That's going to be Roman a... Brock title for the title is going to be Ronda. In the mix, Ronda, Becky Ronda on the Charlotte, other side Becky with Bianca. Yeah, yeah, those are great. And then Edge, Edge Styles. They, I, listen, we are what uh, uh, six and weeks a half out, six weeks out. They, we we've said this before, and it hasn't delivered. But the They're way the shape. card, the way the cards coming together, the potential is there for a monstrous event. Mm-hmm. Now look, that doesn't that doesn't mean they're going to deliver rise everything. To the occasion, right? But on but, paper. This version of Brock is fantastic. Great. 
It's yeah. fun. The We've Roman got, stuff is still fantastic. Bianca should have her moment. Yep. And then it could actually lead to Becky ending up turning and going after Ronda, which is what people would want to see anyways, as yep. Ronda as a heel. And you could have Becky go babyface. Oh, and you know, she could go chase after it could set things up really well there. You mentioned Edge, AJ, Cody Rhodes, a lot of rumors about him. Could he pop up and have a, a match? And I think I think they might be setting us up for Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa, which would mm-hmm. be or or the one that people some people had said Ciampa would be cool. Um, they may even do the uh the demon versus the the Damien. Yeah. Demon yeah. Damien or Demon Priest, you know, yeah. priest versus yeah. the demon, which would kind of be fun at uh that at would Mania. Be cool. If yeah, they just have a, cool. a, a DQ in here. So yeah, really, really cool stuff. Um uh, they have ahead. a shot. They, they they are well positioned to deliver. Let's see if they can do it. Let's see as uh we get ready for the main event, which does deliver on this show. This uh this is a, a really, really good main event here. Um, which is I mean, it's tough. If you'd imagine Brett's really close with Austin, that's gotta be a weird spot for him with his brother. Having just done that to Austin in that match, they blew the spot, and then it's like, oh hey guys, by the way, you got to go out there and deliver now. Uh, when the crowd knows something goofy just sort of happened, and you got to go out there and you need to go a few extra minutes. And these are t- I probably, and I bet I bet him having to cut the promo before the match was done at the last minute. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. probably a part of it. Uh, he's getting massive heat. You know, it, it's a really it's a really interesting moment. Before the match, when you, the, the crowd is just going nuts, the look on Brett's face, where he's just kind of staring out into the crowd, you just get the sense that there is some realism to that. Yeah. You know, he don't get me wrong. He's a great character. He's been doing this forever. But you can, you can act certain things, and you can act well. But the expression on his face is, is almost, mm-hmm. it's almost like there's a point where he almost spaces out. Yeah, like the camera zooms in on him, and he's just kind of looking out, kind of the right corners of his eyes. I don't know what he's looking at. I, I don't necessarily know if he's looking at anything. He might be thinking about what just happened to Austin. He might be thinking about the fact that what's going on with his contract. He might be thinking about the fact that here I am. I've been the hero to these people for a decade. I'm getting booed out of the building, and it's pissing him off. Yeah, it, it's a really real moment, and it's really cool to watch. And uh, even a little of like taking in like the oh you know. Title getting the title here for the final Time maybe or who knows how's this going to happen What's you know just a lot of A lot of stuff going through Brett's mind As he big booze for Brett as he comes out and He asks For the Canadian National Anthem to play And uh, Sean here comes Sean big baby face I I hated him me too I hated him so much here I hated him so much here When he would show up on Raw with those stupid golf shorts Like I I couldn't stand him I hated hated this version of Sean too It was so uh. And then uh, listen a part of it is that we're huge Brett guys Yeah But but I looked at Shawn Michaels at this point As the popular guy in high school That was an egotistical prick that you just wanted to punch Punch. in the face. The guy you wanted to punch that just thought way too highly of himself. And And by the way, I want to add, it's not just Sean playing a great character. Because if you were saying he's playing a great character and and look at the reaction he's getting out of you. This is how he was in real life. No, 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 no. This was him. He was just. This was him. Yeah. He was like, I'm just going to be this guy. Yep. And it would work in some spots, but. Other times it was just too much. We're even hearing stories to this day. I, I sent one earlier today about 
Sean even being a dick still in the back, you know, to to some guys. So um Sean Michaels special guest ref and then the Undertaker. And I remember as a 10-year-old, no, like, okay, I can't, I don't think this is the end for Brett, but you were sort of feeling like he kept this was at the time when Brett would always get screwed. He kept every time he felt like he was gonna win the title or something was gonna happen, some weird thing, something else would go against him. And I was, I don't know how he's going to beat The Undertaker with Shawn Michaels in there I remember being 10 and just yep. wondering How is Brett going to do this? I don't know if he's going to be able to do this yep. As, uh, Same for me Same th- for me th- This was, because I didn't have a, really problems with The Undertaker He was like really respected It was like, oh man, damn it, he's going to do this I just rather, I wish this was against Shawn Michaels You know, that's And it did in a weird way feel like I mean, The Undertaker does a great job in here But he is sort of the third like this is a lot Brett Sean And we kind of know where we're going more Brett Sean and it sort of turns into Sean Undertaker Moving forward to Bad Blood But it's sort of a lot Kane and Undertaker is sort of on the back burner That's kind of what what Even plays a little bit into this it's, match It's sort really of. weird to say this because he's the Undertaker But he's kind of a placeholder He's right like now. an afterthought in the match Yeah in the yeah. match it's not a, You know it's like It's almost Yeah it it's kind of like the SummerSlam match with Austin or with uh, with the Rock, um, Angle and Triple H. You know where the Rock's the champ and he comes out there and you know he ends up you know, but he comes out a few minutes after and everything's going on with Angle and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and it's just just like holy crap is the Rock the champ and he just doesn't even feel like he feels like this is so much Angle. It, it Taker did feel a little bit out of place here and it's it's mainly because we're gonna get the Kane stuff started really soon and that's been on the back burner. But a lot of, I mean, a lot of great stuff from from Sean and Brett throughout this match that you could just feel this tension. They they really milk the entrances. I think I timed them at like almost nine minutes um, from just needing to, to to fill a few extra. Yep. And we, uh, yeah, we get started right off the bat. Brett hits Undertaker with the with the belt, um, and then the bell rings. So. Taker's working on Brett early, lots of punches, kicks, big uh, clothesline, and, you know, Sean, I gotta say, for a lot of it, he was being, like, an annoying referee, but he was trying his best to be very impartial and count and do things right, is uh, Brett and him continue to get into it, Brett throws Undertaker into the steps on the floor, then Undertaker catches him and uh, puts him into the post a couple times, Shawn Michaels keeps telling him to get back in the ring. Undertaker gets the uh, the backbreaker there, and then he's got a bear hug going on. Brett bites him on the face, and then he gets a big boot to the face there. And Brett starts to work on the the legs, and he does a really great job. He's working on the left knee now, and he's just surgical for such a long time with this. He's just just going at it, kicks at the back of the knee, and then figure four. And here comes Paul Bear. And this is when he was talking about Undertaker's brother still being alive As uh, Undertaker ends up uh, Smashing Brett's knee into the mat And then he goes outside after Paul Bear And so Brett comes from behind He attacks him, he takes him out And now he's really going to start selling the leg here Uh, Some of the other officials come out They make sure Paul Bear gets back out of there And um, here comes Brett with the figure four leg lock around the which, ring, which boats. by the way, if applied correctly in real life, will literally break your leg in half. Oh my! It'll snap your knee just. And it, the my favorite thing about this little moment was, 
Right, right as Brett is like lock, about to lock it in, Sean walks over and he's down on the floor and he tells him, and you can hear it perfectly. He says, "Brett, don't, or I'm gonna do it." And Brett says, and Brett then locks it in, and Sean starts counting one, two, and as he's counting, Brett goes, "Don't you do it? Don't you do it?" And then right at four, Brett releases. It would just, you couldn't have scripted it better with the way no. that the guys were doing it. It would have been like. It was so perfectly timed and the way they were reacting to each other. It was just, it was fantastic. I just, I loved, I loved it. Brett breaks it right at four because he doesn't want to get it DQ'd. And he just, you know, he, he, he's smart. And Sean's being smart too, because they both have a ton on the line here. You know, they both don't want to risk their future. And, um, uh, yeah, this, this really cool spot. So now we get Pillman and Owen Hart walking down the aisle and, so they distract Shawn Michaels a little bit as uh, Brett just continues to work on that leg. I think it's a grapevine, and then he uh, we end up getting uh, Undertaker going after Owen and Pillman, and then Shawn sends them to the back. Uh, Brett with uh, oh Brett gets hit with a choke slam here, and Undertaker has the pin, but Shawn isn't paying attention, so it, you know he doesn't he's not able to count there. Then as uh, Sean comes back, Brett rolls up Undertaker playing a little possum. Brett was so great at playing possum in those spots uh, many yep. times. Just awesome in those. As I mean, just really good work here from Brett, just all throughout. He's starting to really work over Undertaker, working on the lower back, um, working on the legs here. He's throwing him into the back of the ring post and double axe handle to the back. Backbreaker, suplex, diving elbow off the middle, and then a DDT. Brett didn't do the straight DDT all that often, which was cool. He um, he does the double middle finger when he does the elbow drop, which was great. Just there's a big F you to everyone out there. Um, and then Undertaker, uh, he counters, and we go face uh, face first into the turnbuckle for Brett. But Brett uh, back in control, side rush and leg sweep. Um, couple leg drops. I mean, he's just everything in the in the repertoire and a bunch of stuff that you don't even really see from Brett. From Brett, and he at, at this point in his career, this is probably the most you've seen the Undertaker get beaten up. One thousand percent. Yeah, one thousand percent. You were not used to it. I mean, we've seen moments with him like the Giant Gonzalez stuff or whatever. Or, you know, yeah, the big evil heel yeah. would put him down for a little bit, but never. But, in a match where he would consistently be taking the punishment, and I get it, Brett's the heel, and the heel calls the match, and that's the way it works. But you were not accustomed to seeing him re- like laid 15, out by 15, one guy. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, yeah. we're talking out of a 28 minute match, yep. where he is getting worked on by Brett, and Brett is just pulling it all out here, um, ripped into the ropes. And then big clothesline from from Taker, and then of course Brett's gonna go chest first into the corner. Um, Undertaker's in control. He uh, that was the the Hulk Hogan, the the big boot and the and the leg drop by uh, by Taker right there. Then Taker picks up Brett from the apron and choke slams him into the ring, which was a, a cool spot. But uh, Brett's able to kick out before three and. Then Undertaker goes up top for the old school, but Brett counters it. He like kicks the top turnbuckle, and then he climbs up. He's trying to hit a superplex. Undertaker sort of slips, 
But Brett he doesn't stop He holds on to him the whole way through He picks him right back up and he just nails it It was that was It was cool and that's the kind of thing in a match Where that That is a bot like that could have Been a botch but it doesn't even Take anything away from the match it's like, oh, these guys are fighting. The one guy slips. That's what happens. And if I, Brett picks him right back up and just nails him, it yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, if you're not, yeah, if you like, it's just kind. Of, I mean, it's kind of like unsteady, and you're wondering what's happening. But at the same time, you know, it was just a small hiccup. Yeah, still, still executes the superplex. Who cares if he slipped a little bit? And, um, we now get the uh, the sharpshooter, and Brett, man, he's got it locked in. With the way he leans back because Taker's legs are long, but he's not like a fat guy. So he, I think I feel like he can kind of lock it in pretty decent on Taker and and he's pretty flexible. And man, he looks good when he's sitting back. And it was a pretty cool moment where he Undertaker powers out of it and Brett goes flying across the ring, out through the ropes. And of course, Jim Ross says, Nobody's ever broken the the sharpshooter before nobody's ever, <laughs> bro- <laughs> which is kind of a, a cool spot. He's screaming there as um, we uh, we get Undertaker now with a clothesline. He goes for the tombstone, but Brett's able to uh, weasel his way out of it, and he puts on like the sharpshooter around the pole. Um, uh, Undertaker. Is able to kind of push him into Shawn Michaels on the floor And so now we get these guys all started getting into it, it Looks like Shawn gets hurt So Shawn's kind of holding his knee And Brett goes and gets a chair And he just nails Undertaker in the head My god Just cracks him here And uh, um, So Shawn's on the floor And Brett gets in He counts, the t- it's just a two count And then Sean sort of recognizes the chair and he comes over and the two guys are yelling at each other about the chair and they're, you know, Sean's kind of pointing at him. What the hell? They're screaming. And Brett spits on Michael, uh, spits on Sean and he hits, he goes right in his mouth. It goes like right in his mouth. And Sean is furious. So Sean has the chair in his hand. He goes to swing to hit Brett Hart. Bret Hart ducks and the Undertaker Who is right behind him Gets nailed in the head The finish was very well done Only tiny hiccup I'd say was they were a little close To the rope so Bret just Kind of pulled the Undertaker's arm in but I even love the way Bret Had to tell Sean get down count it And the way that Sean counts it is one of the more memorable Pinfalls that I can Remember when he, looks he up counts Bret's face every In between time he comes down. Yep. In between each one So good he counts the one, he looks up at him The two, looks up at him And the three, he just looks up And he just rolls out and is out I just, yeah, very well done From these guys They had to go a little longer And like we said, Undertaker in the middle I'm sure they probably had to add a few extra minutes Of just, hey, Taker We gotta put two or three more minutes of you selling here in the middle uh, To add on for what would have been At the end of uh, end of Owen and, uh, and Austin But I love this match with these guys. I really do. It's very well done. It sort of feels like more of like an older, like um, you know, like a territories kind of match that goes about thirty minutes in the main event that you know you need to have long and that that would have had the baby face and real big selling spots and there's a guest referee and it's a little overbooked and it's a little wonky and you've got a, a lot of different guys. Paul Bear's down there for a little bit. Owen and Pillman are down there for a little bit and. I, I I like it though. This is a really cool time period, and 
I uh, this is a, a this felt like a real main event. Uh, it oh, yeah. really did. Oh yeah, M- massive star power. I remember, I remember when he hit him and 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 he went down. I jumped out of my chair because I knew that was it. Nice. Everybody around me was just so miserable, and I'm counting one, two. <laughs> Yeah. And back then, I mean, guy winning five the championship five times is like, you know, back then. Now now you can these guys hand the belt back and forth to each other seemingly month to month. You know, we weren't quite at that point yet. You know, being a five-time champion back then was a big deal. Uh I think it put him in WWE, I think that put him on the level with Hogan at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, a huge deal. And uh yeah, I, I mean, I remember people in that building were pissed. Yeah. Pissed, you know. Oh, yeah. Because back then you weren't you weren't thinking about where's the story going and they're setting up Brett versus Sean and blah, blah, blah. You weren't thinking about that. You were thinking about they just screw Taker, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And me, I'm just I'm just having a blast. Oh, yeah. Best thing ever. Yeah. Canada's God. awesome. Oh, Canada. I was literally singing, oh, Canada. What did it's Brett enough. do to you guys? What did you, yeah. why do you hate Brett? I don't get it. I was just yeah. mad. Okay. Oh, God. Screw you, Vince. You suck, Vince. I, I was, I was in all my glory. This, I was in all my glory. This is a fun show. And there are a couple lows on the show. Like we said, the, the tag match, the Bariqua stuff is there. Honestly, everything else is at least were like some good talking points. Some fun from a historical standpoint And kind of sad when you look back at When you think we go match by match um, In the opener China not with us anymore Pillman yeah. in, in the second match isn't around anymore The LOD You know um, Hawk there We British Bulldog In the uh, the Shamrock match Owen Hart You know in the, the match with Austin So a lot of these these uh, guys And fortunately and gals Um Aren't with us anymore and like we said Even when they come out with the confederate flag This wasn't like we're talking a show that was that Long ago we're talking 1997 Where we're even discussing Stone Cold Steve Austin in a possible Return match this year And the Undertaker just Ended up lacing up uh, finishing up In the last couple years with matches So some of these guys still had Extended careers that we were watching On this show but Really a, a very sad one In a really Important time for wrestling In a huge show for what, what happens Over the next few months with some big Stars on here this was a, a really good Show to have a, a, a Old wrestling rewatch on because we had just So much to discuss in a time period That we love oh yeah one of the most Critical time periods in You know in wrestling uh, Shifting of the tide WWE babyface of the last Seven years and what's going on with him And uh you know the the Sean stuff. I, I mean, you got to remember, Sean is just, I mean, what eight months away from not wrestling for almost four years, four and yeah. a half years. Yeah, I mean, so so much was happening during this, you know, during this time, and uh, it's a fascinating time. There's a lot of material that you can go back and read about. There's a lot of different perspectives and viewpoints and opinions of the people that were involved in all this. Uh, that when you really soak up all the information and you and you gather everything from all the different angles, it's if you're into the wrestling and the you know what's going on behind the curtain, it's a fascinating time. And and this is a a show where certainly it's got its low points and it's got its, its talking points, but you know with the exception of the the 
the pile driver issue uh, with Austin. That was a great match. Yeah. And the main and the main event is is phenomenal. So uh, it's a cool show and it, and it carries a great deal of historical significance. Okay, DZ. So for the next old wrestling rewatch for where we're going to head and then uh, and then after that you uh, you can have our pick but okay. since we're getting towards the the wrestlemania season this is one that'll be a little bit like homework but i figure it's kind of cool it's nostalgic if we do wrestlemania 1 then i know, then we've got 1 through 10 and 4 13 14 15 all in the book so we're going to hit wrestlemania 1 the one that started it all we never we'll be, did that wow. no we've never done wrestlemania 1 we've got 2 and wow. everything through 10 but no wrestlemania 1 so we'll Tino be able Santana to, finally winning a match exactly we'll be able to talk <laughs> about uh everything how vince mcmahon was putting it all on the line We'll uh, we'll go back in history and talk about the one that got it all started, and then uh, as we get closer to WrestleMania season, we'll have a really good looking catalog of uh, of the first ten WrestleManias all in the books. And then I've been dreading. Uh, I think the ones that we sort of we we sort of picked around were one, two, eleven, twelve. Everything else we sort of hit on. But those were the ones that we sort of ended up getting backwards. Two was not that great, but it was the one that moved around from the three different places. One will be fun to talk about uh, just everything and, and Mr. T and uh, heel Roddy Piper at the time and then Hogan and, and all of that. But uh, 11 and 12, those aren't all that fun. That's a bad time. That's a bad time period there. You get the Iron Man match, which is great for a historical reference, but. From a rewatch standpoint, that'll probably end up being one of our shorter rewatches if we do that one because we're not gonna recap move for move the sixty no. minute Iron Man no. match, you know. But uh, yeah, those those are sort of the some of the those don't. That was really... also one of the down points of my of my life. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't un- I didn't understand the storyline at that time that Sean was gonna win going in. You know, I, I yeah I was not wrestling savvy to how they were booking things yet. Me neither. You know, so... it didn't make sense to me when Brett. The time limit was up I, I was one of those times when I remember being furious Actually furious When he was like The time's up, he's the champ, it's over Brett won, what, what the hell And then you make him come back and start I, just, that pit, I was so furious I was so mad about that And then he was just gone for six months You don't even know if he yeah. was going to come back afterwards And so yeah, that, yeah, Those two years don't really feel From like a pageantry there's about a three or four year stretch in the middle of the nineties when things weren't going all that great for WWF, where the the mania shows didn't really feel all that much like mania towards the the end of the nineties. And then back into the two thousands, that's when they started really feeling again, like kind of how they felt at, at the beginning, you know, it like was strange because like eight was a really good show. Um, you know, a little wonky at times and you can question some of the decisions, but it was a really good show. Nine was was a shit show. It's terrible. But the only thing about nine is, from a WrestleMania standpoint, they tried with the look and the feel. Yeah. Right? It was different. It was unique. It felt like a big show. It just yeah. was terrible on paper. It was a ten weird had, time. Ten had everything. Ten felt ten like was a great. big show. It was Madison Square Garden. It's, Garden. It's, it was it's an all time show. The two yeah. title matches. It felt really big deal. Yep. Yep. And then things got, but you can you know around the time of ten. You know, you're leaving the Hogan era, you know, and you're moving on to this new generation type stuff and things are changing. And you can argue that it's possible that they really didn't know how to handle it that well. No. You know, all they've known is Hogan. Hogan's mm-hmm. the guy. Hogan must pose. 
And even album, 90, what do you do? 97, which is a good show, and it has the Austin. There's a couple good matches on the show. Obviously, the Austin Brett um, one there. That one didn't really even feel like a main, just kind of felt like a pay per view. When you watch mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel huge. There's not a whole lot that go is, you know, crazy. But 98, 99, back that way, then they start to again sort of feel like really, really big events. And so we're going to talk about start the, going into the stadiums. It doesn't even matter how good the show is. They feel like monstrous events. The the entrances, the yeah. the, the costumes and yeah. uh, the outfits and the fireworks and just the look, the way that they're able to dress up wherever any stadium or any arena they go to is is just incredible when they. When they put the machine behind it, when they put their WWE touch on it, when they WWEify something, it's it's incredible. There are few industry organizations that can do something like that. I mean, we're even talking major sports leagues. They like you know maybe like basketball or football because basketball has stars that can go out and, and move the needle a little bit, and football is just gonna do it itself. But man, WWE if they want something promoted, they do a way better job than. Baseball and hockey and those things Getting the word out It's 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 crazy where we've come And uh, we're uh, we're on the road to Wrestlemania again as DZ mentioned Not even about six weeks out or so So we'll talk Wrestlemania 1 next time On the old wrestling rewatch DZ as we are Recording you and I are going to talk a little uh, Turfway the next day People That'll already be uh, in the books when people Listen to this but you Continue to do a really good job handicapping the turfway races. You're doing a lot of spot play stuff for Twin Spires, uh, video stuff over there, and um, usually you do a really good job of posting uh, all of the your plays and everything on social media. Yeah, over at At the Track Seven, we've gotten um, we've really stepped up things when it comes to content that we're putting out uh, to help support promos. We're getting very aggressive with promotions at Twin Spires, and uh, a lot of video content with guys like myself and Scott Shapiro. And Joe Christofek. And, uh, you know, we got a great team back there in terms of uh, marketing and putting these things together in these video packages. And I actually just recorded my first voiceover uh, thing today for them. So we're starting some new stuff with that as well. Uh, I'll be applying for my SAG card any day now. Um, we're going to hear no, you it, in uh, 2022 SummerSlam. Darren Zocali is going to be the voiceover. In a world where everyone was, you're going to be doing the, that's it. it. Absolutely. But it's been, it's been a lot of fun. They've got me, uh, it seems like every week they're, they're giving me more and more content to to help produce, which is, which is great. Um, You know, I I have about 15 different jobs with the company, but I love it. It's uh, you know, it's not like the Meadowlands where I got to travel in there and sit in an office for 14 hours and I'm burnt out. You know, I get to work from home and do all this stuff, uh, for a, for a great industry. And yeah, I mean, you know, one of the biggest names in racing, uh, which is obviously very important to me. So uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You can follow along at the track seven, believe me, as much content as you've seen, there's going to just be more and more and more as we move through the triple crown season and, uh, and on from there. So a lot to look forward to. Love that. Love that. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll even get a lot of uh, expanding into sports stuff as uh, you know, the mainstream sports betting becoming more and more DZ will jump in and give some thoughts on whatever's happening and uh, props sometimes or thoughts on games. I know March madness is coming up pretty soon too. So everyone's going to probably get a little focus shifting over to, uh, to college basketball with conference tournaments and then uh, the, the brackets coming out in the, in the next few weeks. So Always uh, always something happening in the world of sports Make sure to follow DZ over there uh, For all that great info Thanks so much buddy, this was a fun one I'm glad we got to uh, talk a little bit about Brett This was a, this was a great night for him, man This was a, this was a really good show I, I, I was shocked that we hadn't had this one in, uh, in WrestleMania 1 next 
Oh yeah, I, I was surprised that you said we didn't do uh, this one or or one. So uh, yeah, WrestleMania one, like you said, it's a little bit of homework. It's not something that's necessarily fresh in our minds, and uh, obviously it's a completely different time. But for historical significance, probably the most important um, premium live event or whatever they call them now. Yeah, uh, in the history of uh, of professional wrestling. So yep. certainly something to look forward to. And that'll be next. Uh, Andrew Champagne will be back with us on the old wrestling rewatch. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. Big thank you to DZ for helping us out there with the old wrestling rewatch. And we'll be bouncing around uh, a lot like this um, nowadays for the next few months where we'll hit on NBA college basketball if there's anything going on in the world of baseball or other major sporting news and then we'll you know have our horse racing focus lots of racing coming up this weekend we'll have NBA with Eric we'll have wrestling with Chad Cooper a couple different guests to help us out with Santa Anita and Gulfstream for Saturday and yeah we'll give you Sam Houston every day they're running Santa Anita stuff every day they're running all the content that you've become familiar with here on that's what G said talk to you in a few days folks have a good one